Everybody, I hope you're doing wonderful and delicious and having the best time ever as you just glide through this beautiful, salty, sweaty spring, taking seven showers a day. But I don't really ever do that. So anyway, guys, this is a good episode. This is a this is a hearty one. Buckle up. This is Jeff Tui. He so I got I need to make this intro short. I just recorded like an eight minute intro and I was like, this is this is no flow. This is intro. This is too long. I got to do a shorter intro because we got to get right to the point. So my bullet points are this: number one, there's no ads on this podcast, and you are welcome. So number one, thank you for listening. But number one, because I'm only going to use one, I only need one number. All of music is in one. This is one. Is uh, they keep asking me to put ads on this? I'm like, I don't what. The few hundred listeners I have are like, that would be the most corporate man. Like, what, you're going to give me a penny for this podcast? Like, fuck, fuck the man. And the other thing is I'm not into the telephone podcast things. So I'm just putting those two points out there. These are two things I'm not going to do. We're not going to do ads and we're not going to do telephone interviews. Never say never. Never say never. Because maybe one telephone interview might be cool or a portion of it. But that's a whole different thing. Anyway, guys, this is Jeff Tui. He is a dynamo entertainer, a monster entertainer on all levels, singing, acting. Dude can dance. Dude can really actually move. We didn't talk about his dancing, but I have seen him actually, for real, for real, dance. He's a cool guy. He's a sweet guy. He definitely has my number in the humor department and can really make me laugh because he's a funny guy. Um, and a really thoughtful thoughtful writer and like he's this deep deep character that he's a real artist the dude is a real artist there's no question about that as well as a dynamic entertainer as well as a businessman and he's like this perceptive human things we all talk about in there in the podcast a shout out to the woodbury brewing company this takes place in this beautiful brewery in woodbury connecticut where i got to see jeff's beautiful um he lives in the top of a barn. Well, he has a place on like right off of Bleecker Street, like right in the heart of the West Village, right above Triona's, which I call Triona's is his living room, which is a cool bar. If you're in the West Village, go to Triona's. And then if you're in Westbury, Woodbury, Waterbury, Middlebury, there's a thousand berries. There's a thousand berries of Connecticut. So we were in Woodbury Brewing Company drinking a beer, I'm not even making this up, called Lord Hobo's Glorious Ale. And we got it based just on the name. And so this gets a little saucy two hours in and three saucy beers. So it gets a little, I get a little saucy, it gets a little saucy at the end. It gets a little saucy back there. It gets a little saucy. So just, you know, just hang with it. Jeff, I don't think alcohol affects him. In fact, it only like, it's like his superpower. It's like his spinach just like makes him stronger. And I'm just getting like sillier and sillier. And then we had this really wonderful evening afterwards where he showed me around the berries, which is a whole part of Connecticut around Danbury, right? As I'm literally not lying. I think there's 17 berries in Connecticut, but that's a beautiful part. And like where he lives, it's like I was saying, it's an old historic, like fits my name. As I just told someone, my name is 
Paul Madison, this dude looked at me and he's like, oh, that's a very colonial name. That doesn't really fit your, like, who you appear to be. I was like, yeah, well, fuck you. No, not really. It was like this really cool artist, hip dude, Drew Beatty. I really liked his artwork. was really beautiful. He's like, you have a very colonial name. So maybe my super white dudeness would fit right in in the berries. Because Jeff, he doesn't, he's like Irish. He feels more ethnic than me. What am I talking about right now? Okay, anyway, that dude, I'm try, I got 45 seconds. We're getting it in. The first song I'm going to play from right here is, uh, to me, probably like the Jeff Tui theme song. It's called Bourbon Street. It's like a song that you're going to want to smash beers and get crazy to. I think it, Jeff played it at his wedding recently. It was so badass it's a great tune the whole track is fire the lyrics are great it's a rocker josh dion's on drums i think it's probably jeremy goldsmith on guitar it's fucking shredding it's a beautiful track and then this the la the song after the interview because jeff doesn't know that i'm gonna play this is lay your body down which he talks about is a country song that is like a positive vibe and positively instead of a country heartbreak song it's like a heartwarming song lay your body down I love that tune. It's a dope tune. Now I'm at five minutes, and this is this is gonna be a long, long one, but buckle up because it's good, because Jeff's interesting. We all have stuff to learn from Jeff. He's a fucking cool guy. He really makes me laugh. So there's I get a little silly. It's a little silly in there, but hey, I hope you guys are doing awesome. Thank you for checking this out. Definitely check out Jeff's music. Have a wonderful fucking sweaty June. Sweaty, rainy June. You are the best. And Fucking email me. Hit me up. Let me know. Let me know what you think. We'll talk soon. One. Well, I've been living in sin for about a month. Something turned around. It's something that I just can't understand. The way I behave. Some people you can never save. In my right hand.
is a lightning cloud of summer Real nice and easy to trust Ashes to ashes and dust to dust I'm gonna lead you on a path to self-destruct On this crazy train that I can go And it's one, two, three, how Because I every night with Frobin's little swallow I'm gonna turn her head until she's mine, all mine Every night I breathe a new disaster Might be right, might be wrong Try to get away but I will bring it right along So sit back, have a seat Sometimes funny, sometimes sweet Hard to swallow but fun to eat You ain't never leaving Brother Street Ladies and gentlemen, this could not, this literally could not be more perfect. Right now, I am in Woodbury, Connecticut at the Woodbury Brewing Company with basically the mayor of Bleecker Street right here. Singer, songwriter, actor, performer, freshly married man, running shit up in CT. Ladies and gentlemen, the Jeff Toohey. Thanks for having me, Pete Matty. It's a pleasure to be here. Dude, this is... So this is the first podcast that I've ever done, recorded in the most perfect bar. This, uh, this is Jeff's home away from home, right? You live in this town. Yeah, I mean, this, this place is dope. I actually grew up uh, next door in Southbury, Connecticut. So I'm still in the city, a bunch, obviously. Uh, but my wife was originally based up here, or has been based up here. So this is kind of like when shit gets crazy in the, uh, in the city. This is kind of like the, the getaway. And... Uh, this place is great, man. I mean, it's definitely got a lot of potential. The sound system's awesome, and it's just this beautiful roadhouse. The gig is like 8 to 11, so musicians will realize how cush that is. You know, I mean, you're done by 11. It's great because people can get home to their sitters and go out and, you know, drink more somewhere else if you want to, whatever. And I met these guys actually coincidentally at the Mount Snow Brew Fest uh, in Vermont, which we've been playing for going on 10 years now. And they came up, they're like, hey, we're opening a brewery in Woodbury, Connecticut. I'm sure you've never heard of it. I'm like, actually, I grew up in Southbury and now live part-time in Woodbury. So it worked out great. But, I mean, as you can see, I know everybody around us can't see it, but it's got this totally dope, like, barn post and beam vibe, like old frying pans right above Paul's head. Hopefully nothing falls. No, the vibe in here is incredible. Yeah. The wood, the brew tanks, and my own personal thing is it doesn't smell like a brewery in here. Sometimes yeah. that gets a little... Uh, well, they actually just moved all their operations right next door, right here behind this wall, behind the stage. So perfect. they're running everything in there. So they're, they're getting everything off the feet, uh, off its feet or whatever. So they have two brews out right now. Uh, I do not... I can't read what they are from here or whatever. They have a Pilsner that's out, and I believe they also have something that's... Uh, let's see looks like an IPA, I think, that they have out right now. And then they're building it up as they go along. And what are you drinking right now, Jeff? I think I'm drinking what you... Was the Hobo Lobo Bobo? (laughs) (laughs) The Bonobo Lobo (laughs) Bobo? The beer is called Lord Hobo Glorious Ale, which was selected on its name alone. I am with He's a a lord. lord. He's a lord. But he's a hobo. But he's glorious. But he's a glorious and yeah, ale. I like ale. And I, this is delicious. And thank you for meeting with me, number one. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming up here, man. So number two, Jeff. As, as, as I said to Dave Heilman when we were all painting our faces for the after party in New York City, hashtag goodbye Tuesday. Um, you know, I said to, uh, we're, we were all out taking pictures, right? And mm-hmm. I was like, let's go to another bar. And I was like, no, let's go back to Rockwood. I'm like, they already know what we're doing there. So I thought it'd be cool to kind of get out of the element a little bit. 
you know, at a New York element, even though a lot of us have been connected through New York City. No, the, the, this could not be any perfect. And it would appear <clears throat> that another meeting is adjourning over there, right? Did you see this? They have yeah. their, like, agendas out, and they're like, no, hang out. And we're in a little tucked in a corner right by the stage. So, Jeff, <clears throat> when I, I told you this, and I think this, that I've known Jeff for maybe a few years, three to five-ish years. Yeah, what, what did Facebook say? For a friend anniversary. Oh, that's true. I think true. it was like five years, right? Was it five At years? Least. Yeah. So you're, you're the perfect podcast guest for me because I know you. Maybe you feel comfortable with each other. Oh, totally. Also, I didn't know you in 2005 when your first record came out. Right. I didn't know you through your 20s. My, when I first experienced the glory of the Tui on a full scale, <laughs> speaking of Goodbye Tuesday, is when you did Iggy Pop. Oh, that's right, yeah. And you ripped your shirt off and got on stage and went banana sandwich for the whole <laughs> duration of the track. It was raw power. It was raw power. Yeah. I had some rolls hanging over my jeans because I wasn't quite in shape. You can't hear right now, so I'm not going to tell you what kind of shape I'm in right now. <laughs> Post-wedding mode, let's put it that, <laughs> let's put it that way. Oh, but, you're uh, in good shape. You're the only man who hikes the Appalachian Trail, goes to Jazz Fest. <laughs> It's the, I mean, all of the things you did. Anyway, so I didn't know you through this whole time period. You know what I mean? So you have this whole history. Yeah. Right here, right here. You grew up right here in Southbury, in grew, Waterbury. Yeah, I grew, I grew up. I grew up in Southbury. Uh, Waterbury is the closest metropolis. I was uh, did a lot of acting at Seven Angels Theater and community theater projects, and then actually ultimately got my equity card through them during a professional production. Uh, Woodbury's right next door to where I. Um, where I grew up, so it's you know always been pretty much it's like the two towns can you can meddle them together. And uh, the first album, Breaking Down the Silence, was 2005, mm -hmm. and I was uh, I went to school at Emerson College, which I'm actually rocking an Emerson T-shirt right now. Emerson shirt, it's which like is, my favorite T-shirt, which is Boston. It's like yep, Boston, right. yep, right on the common. And uh, I mean, with that album, I was super into this band called Percy Hill. Uh, they sound like this dope combination between Steely Dan and Jamiroquai with some like Paul Simon undertones I think they say but like a jam band but like good songs awesome vibe a lot of Moog synthesizers and all that and so I'd gone to see him a bunch of times and Aaron Katz their drummer had also released a solo album and so I was just really into it so I think one of the things that has served me best in the business of music so to speak is that I was into it so I just walked up to him and I was like hey I dig your stuff blah 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 just started waxing them about music and, you know, when the time came, I wanted to make an album. I was just said to him, hey, I hear you're, you said that you're kind of looking to get into producing, and I want to make an album. So I kind of got to play with, like, a, a hero or to work with a hero right off the bat. And that guy, the dude from Percy Hill, he's like a singing drummer, right? Yes. Yeah. That, this yeah. Is the cat yeah. They, usually the way they set up is uh, the last tour that they just did. They just played at Gramercy Theater at the Sinclair awesome attendance it was a 20th anniversary I think of their album Color and Bloom and they set up uh, so they set up with uh, if you're looking at the stage it's Aaron Katz on the left right in the front line kind of like a fish vibe I guess not the music but the, the setup yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the bass player the guitarist and Nate Wilson the uh, let me actually say all their names because they're all badass uh, Aaron Katz on the drums John Lasses on bass um Joe Farrell on guitar and then Nate Wilson on keyboards 
B3s and you know Moogs and all that and then also they have this great uh, percussion player who actually also plays with Ryan Montblou uh, named is, uh, Yahuba Garcia and he was kind of set up in the back and uh, yeah it sounded great this last tour I saw him too but I just knew I wanted to make music I had been in a bunch of bands before and I had a bunch of different band members who were just like they were tentative about committing to music as a lot of people are and it's <laughs> it's a very interesting thing to be tentative about and very wise for some people in some situations but yes. I knew that I wanted to do this and I didn't want to deal with constantly replacing band members and wondering if it was if it would still maintain the integrity of calling it the same band so I went it was kind of by necessity that band was in a transition we weren't sure what was going to happen so I was like I'm going to make a solo album under my own name and I called that guy up and then we made it in uh Dover, New Hampshire, for the most part, and then South Berwick, Maine, as well, at Thundering Skies Studios and Waterway Studios, I think it was called at the time. Were you still in college at that point in time? It was then? my senior year. It was your senior year, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. And now, what did you study in college, Jeff? Let's let's let's. What was your major? Uh, well, so I went to UConn. It was like initially. three majors or something, right? Like, well, I I just I had bounced. I was trying to figure stuff out because in you know in high school all I cared about was girls and music and acting you know mm -hmm. so everybody's like oh you should go to UConn it's a great program it was a tough school to get into and I got in on a scholarship or on a kind of like a let's let them in even though his grades kind of suck you know? on a singing scholarship or uh, acting yeah, or? Or, or you know I don't remember what it was if it was like a, a an assistance thing or some some kind of hey come perform here mm -hmm. but for them it was one of the times where I think the head of the music department at that time was like uh uh if the basketball team can bring in whoever they want like I want this guy to come in and uh, I had gotten to UConn, and it's got an amazing music program. The jazz program's great, the acting program's great, but at that time, the singing was very classically focused. Yeah. And I kind of had a private teacher that was, kind of seemed to not be totally down with me singing in rock bands, and that's what I was going to do, and here we are, thank God, so I went. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was gigging at that point, actually on weekends already, and, uh, you know, it just wasn't right for me at that time, so I left there, I went to Quinnipiac, University, which is in Hamden, Connecticut, and started studying communications. And then finally, my mother actually was one like, you should go to Emerson. And at that point, two of my band members that was in the band I was in at the time were up there. Uh, the girl I was dating at the time was up there. So I just saw this place, fell in love with it. And it's like I went from like having like a C average to Dean's List like nonstop, like, hmm. you know, 3.9 yeah. grade point average, like because I really want to go to Boston. So I went to Boston, started as a BFA in music theater. And then ultimately decided a year or two in to split my major between theater and between marketing communications, which is PR and advertising. Look at this. Yes. So you, yeah, <laughs> you were studying business, you were studying singing, acting, mm -hmm. and then you've always kind of been a songwriter too. Were you writing songs as like a seventh grader, as yeah. a tenth grader? How old were you when you wrote your first oh, love first song to whatever beautiful think, specimen? I think I was in like fourth or fifth grade I still like a soprano voice at that time or an alto voice <laughs> that was the and I, th I think it was called shedding a tear for you I'll be shedding a tear for you you say we ain't compatible but I still love you and as my life the river drafts into the sea I'll be shedding a tear for you yeah something like that fourth grade fourth or fifth grade or something like that yeah Get out of here, dude. Yeah. Did you already play guitar, or did you just write the vocal no, I, I started playing the lyrics? Clearly, it's a beautiful melody. I got my first See, electric. I had, I had an acoustic that, like, the Tooth Fairy brought me, but it was a, a shitty one from, like, a tag sale, but it was awesome my parents to buy it, nonetheless. 
But uh, I got, like, got on the honor roll in seventh grade, which was an accomplishment because, again, I didn't really give a shit back then. And uh, Academics weren't your thing in seventh grade? No, as soon as I got to college, though, and I knew that I was doing things for a reason, I, you know, I graduated like magna cum laude or something like that because I cared. I was applied. Yeah. Everything before that was like, nah. You know, I cared about music. So, but I did get on the honor roll, and my parents bought me uh, Ibanez Silver Cadet, and I got a PV amp, and I just started shredding Danzig and everything else I could, and then started kind of writing riffs from there. And then I think the next, you know, when I graduated from just kind of messing around with Nirvana tunes and all that stuff, I wanted to be in the jazz band. So now I had to start learning jazz chords. So, started researching that, you know. Wait, so what year is this? You went from Danzig Nirvana to jazz band? Yeah, well, so I mean, you know, <laughs> which is a natural we're going transition for the middle schooler. I so assume, seventh grade, right? eighth grade, ninth grade, sophomore year. So we're going to like a period of four years, you know. But okay. now all of a sudden, like you're a freshman. Dave Matthews was cranking when we were all in, in high school, you know. Oh, dude. So we're getting the all king. these jazzy vibes and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, I started looking a little more acoustic stuff or whatever. And uh, yeah, just kind of started moving from there. You know, with all that, and then started doing the jazz chord stuff, and kind of graduating from there, and then started writing a lot when I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah, for a band. For a band, it was called the Little Rich Boys. The Little Rich Boys. And then we later changed our name to Twenty Eight and Waiting. Twenty Eight and Waiting. Yes. What does that name? <laughs> well, there's two. The, you were, you the, guys the, were like the, the, seventeen. The GPG version was we're like, oh, twenty eight is usually when a lot of people get famous, so we're just like waiting to be twenty eight and get famous. But the real truth was, uh, you know, I was uh, physically active in high school, <laughs> and in the twenty eighth day of the female cycle had arrived and nothing had happened yet. So the band you, was called Twenty Eighth and Twenty Eighth and Waiting, meaning like you were a little nervous about. Uh, if there'd be a pregnancy or not. To be, to be truthful, that was the name <laughs> oh, of the band. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, our that's name a, was named after uh, someone after, after the female after menstrual the cycle. cycle of the moon goddess. Yes, yes there it is. Yes. That's a really good band name. Yeah, thank you. Did thank you, you guys ever have merch? Like, because I would actually, maybe. <laughs> I might make some now that you're telling me it's good. Yeah. Maybe you get 28 waiting. And that was a stressful moment as a high schooler, right? Where you're like, yeah, I mean, oh my God. I'm 36 and married, and I'm sure I'll still be stressed out when the time comes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> 36. <laughs> my next band is 36 and stretched the fuck out. <laughs> like that. 28 and waiting. Oh my God. So, and was that. And that's a band. I mean, I could probably go to the bar right here in Westbury and be like, "Do you guys remember <laughs> Twenty Eight Woodbury or yeah. Woodbury? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, the right person might. Yeah, for sure. Oh my god! Did a lot of gigs it, at UConn and all that. Like, opened for like Howie Day or something like that. So when you first went into college, you were still kind of committed to the high school boys and the band. And yeah, is that what kind of fell apart? You were saying you were. Figuring yeah. yourself out, you refound I mean, yourself at Emerson, kind of. And you know, you know, most of the band was at my wedding a couple weeks ago. Still, we're still all boys. You know, my the yeah. bass player was my best man. It's just that you know, with our industry, and you know, we'll probably start talking about this, but certain people, you really want it, or you don't. And I don't blame people who don't want it. No, because you not at really all. gotta want it. Yes. So that that's kind of how things transition. Then by the time I was out of college. People were making decisions. They were graduating with majors, and you know, so. In your senior year, you made a clear decision. You're like, "All right, guys, I'm just yeah. gonna make my own effing record." Yep. And you can say "fuck" too. I didn't. Yeah, it's cool. already Thank explicit you. related. Yeah. I don't. Sound. I felt a little. You already Tipper Gore this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Tipper Gore's already got her hands on this. I uh, felt like a tenth grader saying "effing" in front of Jeff Matty. too. Parental advisory advised. <laughs> <laughs> 
I feel like a nerd already because you got me laughing so hard about it's good. 28 it's Wedding laugh. and the Little Rich Boys. Oh, man. So, so you wrote a record. Mm-hmm. And you literally, you are fun. You have huge balls, dude. So, and then you go, in 2005, Percy Hill was like shredding. We're talking about a B-list jam band. This is when jam bands, for the youngins, yeah. like the jam band culture was popping off. Yeah. Well, for me, I mean, I've, I've always been very into music and very into checking new things out. So to me, they were A-list. They were just, they were secret famous. There you they go. Were, well, they were, they were like regional famous, right? Like, because where I grew up, yeah, Mo but, is but from, they, right? Yeah, but Mo is huge. Yeah. And I remember my next door neighbor got the record and I never really dug Steely Dan at that point in time, but I thought that shit was hot. I was like, these chords... Yeah. The sound, this that dude could sing his ass off. Yeah, well, they're all they're all great bands. I mean, a lot of those bands, man. Like you know, the thing is, like a lot of times we call you know we'll, we'll you know give the misnomer of a of a B list band because just like you know they you know they're not fish you know, but yeah. uh, but you know Percy Hill was playing. I mean, I think it was Tractor Tavern in Seattle and stuff. That they were all touring. I mean, it was it was Percy Hill, Mo, Deep Banana, Blackout, mm-hmm. also mostly Connecticut band, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I know a yes. lot of them from here. Jen Durkin, Super Jen Durkin, CT, Fuzz, The Breakfast, Psycho Fuzz, Rob, Breakfast. Vo- Rob Volo, the, the uh, trombone player, plays with me now or whatever. So it's been kind of cool actually playing with those guys. Moon Boot Lover, they opened for Percy Hill actually the other yeah. day at Gramercy. So, this is this era. So anyway, you were saying, so yeah. Just, yeah, so I just called, I just talked to Aaron backstage one day and said, hey, I want you to do this. You so want to did do that, it? So to continue that point, did that whole band play behind you on that record? No, I, I kind of, Dave DiCenzo played drums, who now plays with Josh Groban, and also he uh, he was on the John, John Petrucci, the guitar player for Dream Theater. Yeah. He played, he was a teacher at, uh, might still be a teacher at Berkeley, put on the first Hiromi record, I mean, just burning. And this guy, Brian Takeoff, a very talented bass player, uh, from West Hartford played on it I did all the guitar tracks which was weird because I'm not usually a lead guitarist but I played all the guitars on that well at this point in time you were a little more into the guitar I mean you're into the guitar I'm not coming at your guitar playing no no thank you but you're (laughs) (laughs) you you realized this interview's over (laughs) (laughs) no no you take solos and you you like to rip on your guitar playing but then you'll play some shit on the guitar I'm like Fucker plays guitar, but and yeah, you just so, told me you studied jazz chords in tenth grade. Is what right. I'm saying. So yeah, well, it's just you know, necessity breeds productivity, so they say. So yeah, so I just kind of went and did that album, and then toured on it. Did you get a different band? And then so I made you that graduated. album. Did you stay in Boston for a few years and just no, no, soak I, I, up the, I graduated. The Tom uh, Brady Rays on uh, the advice of Scott Wheeler, who's a music teacher at Emerson. I moved to New York. And committed, even though I had the degree with the business thing, I was like, nope. So I became a lifeguard at the Millennium UN Plaza Hotel. I got fired within like three months because I bailed on a New Year's <laughs> Eve thing because I had a gig that paid much more. But uh, got down there and uh, had the album, and I was called by someone who's like, come to this benefit and play some tunes. And I just finished sitting on these uncomfortable non-equity benches at the Equity Center for an audition. Didn't even get seen drove up it's storming I can't find this place it's on like this private road mm-hmm. and I was like I'm just gonna go home and I was like no fuck that I was like I called the cops to ask them how to get to this house went to this house played the gig the guy had, had hired us I think for a while back for like some other thing and I gave him the copy of the CD and the next day or two later I got an email saying Jeff my daughters love this album I think it's great I don't know shit about the music industry but I want to put some steam behind it 
what? And then then you were riding the wave, and, and that was, was it. Yeah, and you know the thing. I mean, it was amazing, and uh, he's a great dude. I'll I'll keep his privacy, you know, for him. But uh, I mean, it was an amazing experience. I was touring the country. You know, we had a tour bus. It was an old one. It's like 1979 remodeled, but touring the country, playing gigs. It was awesome. You know, getting to meet people. It was sick. You know, the album, the song "Knock on Wood" from that album and Brandy were getting some airplay on a couple stations, mm-hmm. and it was the most amazing experience. I mean, I grew so much as a as a human being and as a businessman. And then ultimately, 2008 came. A lot of things tanked for a lot of people. So the investment the dollars, real estate, the, so, the, so the, the independent label we had created, the investment dollars had to go somewhere else. Totally understandable. And uh, it's funny because I look back. I'm like, man, if I had that opportunity now with this, where would I allocate these funds? Yeah. But maybe had I not had that opportunity then, I wouldn't have made the two albums that I made during that time, or the one album and the one album came before, and then the one that I made during. And maybe I wouldn't have learned where you make mistakes and where you don't. So you can never really say, you know, as, as one of my friends who actually introduced me to the gentleman uh, that we were working with, he said, often in life the test comes first and the lesson comes later. Yep. So that was kind of how, how I launched from there. And then after there, I kind of had a choice. All right, well, now what do I want to do again? Because I'm no longer getting a stipend. I'm no longer getting this. And so I just bartended at Cowgirl Seahorse in the South Street Seaport. Live music every Monday. Very good. And uh, <laughs> shout out. And then from there, I actually had to, it was like almost starting from the ground up, except I had two sweet, what I thought were sweet albums at least. And uh, we can talk about that last album if you want to, whatever, but I'm just kind of going chronologically. But, and then I started getting phone calls like, hey, do you want to play a gig at a bar for, you know, 100 bucks or 150 bucks? Mm-hmm. You get, you know, you got to play for two hours, you get free food, free booze. And I was like, okay, well, I can keep my bartending gig where I might make 300 or I might make $99, depending on what kind of night it is but I'll be on my feet for eight hours or whatever. And then I just had to ask myself, did you move to New York to be a bartender or did you move to New York to become a, a musician and an actor? Mm-hmm. And so that's where I made the decision. There were some times, man, where after paying rent at that apartment in Greenwich Village, the rent was much cheaper back then, but there were times where I'd be, after I paid rent, I had $80 in cash and wanted to go out drinking that night. <laughs> you know, and wondering how the hell am I going to live like this? You know, so after that definitely existed rent, for sure. And it was kind of, it fucked because I went from touring around and then all of a sudden the bottom dropped out and we just had not quite gotten that lift off for whatever reason maybe lack of the songs or whatever it was lack of planning well and uh, it's not the songs bro yeah it's or whatever whatever it is you know the way gamble life works. of the music business yeah, yeah. and uh, so yeah I had to make that decision and I'm, now I'm fucking glad I did but there were definitely times where I was painting rooms at times to make money you know bartending catering, uh, DJing, whatever. And then it graduated into, and you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but nine gigs a week at bars as a duo with a cajon player, you know, singing, doing double, pretty much working, you know, and that's usually was in like five or six days a week. So some of those gigs were two or three gigs in a day. Yeah. Looks like the crowd left. The yeah, crowd has dissipated, but they, they're going to smoke. I bet you there's somebody who will pour a beer. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. um so, so now we have a lot. Now we have a lot on the table. Look, so look. <clears throat> you made the decision. So you, when you were touring, right, mm-hmm. and you had the kind of the nut, the muscle behind it, were you based up here? Um, no. Kinda, I, you I, still I, had this spot. I moved, in, to New, I moved to New York City right out of college. You moved to New York right away. Yeah. I mean, I was always and like... So you, have you always had the pad in Greenwich? 
No, I was in the meatpacking district before it totally like became the whole club scene or whatever. It was there was still some meat being packed, and then uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then uh, after that, I was in Gramercy for a year, and it's it's a beautiful part of town and Bank Cafe where we've done a lot of duo gigs. I love that place; it's great. And Slane now is reopened there, and the gym there. There's there's a couple of really good places, Street Taco, but like Gramercy was not for me at all, and so. Uh, I've been oh. dating somebody at the time. They're like, if you could live anywhere, where would it be? I was like, Greenwich Village. And then it worked what year, out. So what year did you get this? 2009 spot? was Greenwich Village. So I've been there about uh, nine years or so. In and out. My permanent residence is still listed as up here. but Yeah. You but you're I mean. really a New Yorker, bro. I, I know you. I've been, I've been there for a while. You, you feel like a CT dude. but So to clarify this for some of our listeners who may not be super familiar with Jeff Tui. As this most is, probably are not, actually. <laughs> no, no, no. <clears throat> but thanks. The story I like to tell about Jeff Tui is that you did nine hours of gigs in one day without repeating a song. This is true. Now, this... <laughs> We repeated two songs. I think we repeated Human Nature by Michael Jackson <laughs> and Found Out About You by Jim Blossoms. So what... Obviously, these are cover gigs. So what we haven't... Have you always had this insane memory, Jeff? <laughs> like, to do nine hours of tunes without My repeating... My wife says that all the time. She's like, you never forget a thing. She's you like, don't. You can't say a damn thing in front of you because it's it. It's recorded. But uh, you have one of those. Do you have a perfect memory? Can you remember what you were doing September twenty second? I have, when I have you were a seven years old. <laughs> I have a convenient memory, but yeah, as far as like yeah, I have a lot of visual memory and stuff like that. But I, I credit most of that was I mean, like a lot of us. I mean, a lot of us musicians, we all consumed music. You know, we were avid music fans. Yeah, I mean, we we grew up in a generation where you went and bought a cassette tape, threw it in your stereo. You're sitting in your back of your parents' car and you're just reading everything. Like I can tell you, I think for most part, on my favorite albums. Who played bass? Who played guitar? Who, it's, it's like it's like baseball fans knowing stats. You know, got kids who collected trading cards. Well, for me or for us, our trading cards were the liner notes. Yes. Who produced that? How did it happen? How is that done? And then when I was 16, I started working for a company called Power Station Events. Initially out of Middlebury, Connecticut, and now they're in Cheshire. And uh, I was DJing all the time, so that means I was playing stuff all the time. And I think that that's how I credit actually what I'd like to believe is a decent ability to read crowds when it comes to cover gigs or, whatever, or even original gigs, just knowing when to bring it down, when to bring it up. I learned yeah. all that through DJing, actually. And, like, not even glamorous DJing, like, you know, middle school dances, uh, <laughs> proms, which were sweet when I was 17 and 18. Well, you, you, and, uh, you know, weddings, bar and bat mitzvahs, whatever, you know. But I was still working with music and, uh, you know... You do Can't learn a lot from DJing. That is, this is, I yeah. mean, this is the culture we live in now. You know, what I mean, we're surrounded by exceptional DJs, and you do learn a lot about how to read a crowd. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look at this. This is my buddy Tim right here, the owner. He just delivered Tim. us two sweet, sweet beers. Thank you so, so much. Again, a, a plug for Woodbury Brewing Company. Wood you definitely got to come by here if you ever get a chance. Live music, eight to eleven on Fridays and Saturdays. How often do you get to that play was a here? Commercial break. Uh, I don't believe all. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about this too, but uh, next time it's probably going to be the Saturday after Thanksgiving. I just don't believe, especially in certain markets, you don't want to oversaturate. Mm -hmm. It's tough, you know, for a lot of musicians to figure that out because it's, you want to be, you know, on the scene and have people checking you out, but economics 101, supply goes up, demand goes down. <laughs> 
You find it weird that I'm discussing economics while we're talking about music and arts. I know. No, 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 no. I like, no. I, dude, Jeff, look, you have a brilliant business brain and you're, you're, you're you know, this unique combination. What I was alluding to earlier with your theater training, what I was trying to think about is that a lot of theater cats don't necessarily naturally transition into the rock world. Yeah. Well, I and actually, so rock world is like actually a, always my number one. Yeah, see, so that's, beforehand. This, so. Is, this is what I'm getting at. And I'm not coming at theater people. No, 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 not at all. Because you learn, you learn how to use your body. You learn how to like command a room. You know what I mean? These are skills you have that... I th- thank you. Yeah, I uh, and you don't you don't sing like a theater cat. I've never heard you sing. Uh, Maria, you know, you know or that's, some shit so like that's, that, that's actually one of the interesting things that happens to me in uh, a lot of callbacks, auditions, and you know I've I've been lucky to do some great theater work or whatever. But a lot of the things for uh, you know, truth be told, I never I was close to getting on for once, and all the time they always say after I sing a tune they're like, "You got a great voice, but can you do that for eight shows a week?" And I want to be like, motherfucker, please. <laughs> I was like, I sing two hours straight at the Red Lion after singing two hours straight at, at Brooklyn Dino. Like, yeah, you know, and that's, that's, one, of my, that's one of my beefs with the uh, Broadway world. My friend Sherry Sanders has an awesome book called Rock the Audition mm-hmm. and about combining rock and roll with auditions. And, and I admittedly haven't read it because she told me she thought that I had a good grip of it already <laughs> but uh, it's an, I, I mean people she does clinics around the country and she's awesome so yeah. if you're a theater person looking to get more into rock check out Sherry Sanders uh, Rock the Audition but uh, they always say that you know it's like when they're recasting Rent they're like we want a Kurt Cobain Eddie Vedder type I'm like no you don't you want some dude who has blonde spiky hair who sounds safe you know, and that, that's always been one of my big things. Of course, there are some great shows that have transcended that. Uh, a lot of, you know, the Hamiltons uh, in the Heights, Alice Ripley in uh, Next to Normal. There, there are plenty of examples where that, that's not the norm. But, it's uh, not the norm. This but that is, that safe is a consi- character. That yeah, is I like, a consistent the, I like thing. the way you're describing these, yeah. these performers. But right? rock and roll for me, I mean, I, I always have enjoyed acting just because I, I enjoy the outlet of it. I enjoy connecting with live audiences. I've never been that interested in movies to be honest because I like the live connection like you know and I think that that's as artists what we're that's our thing I think is to connect with other people and to give them a moment away from whatever to give them a moment to be sad or to be happy mm-hmm. and to know, see that happening it's just it's a little self gratifying but it's like you see that moment happening that's what I love about live live theater and all that but I also like the band live but uh dude's a sick singer but you know for me it was my parents' record collection, and when I think the, my first musical influences were, in no particular order, Credence, Clearwater Revival. Which I love. I love that that's your... ABBA. ABBA's two. ABBA's coming in at two. In, in, no, per- in no particular mom, order. Okay. Right. Michael I'm Jackson. Because MTV was booming when I was like three or four. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I would maybe throw Neil Diamond in there. He's great, but I don't think he had much of an influence, but it was like Credence, ABBA, and Michael Jackson. And so I'd like to think that maybe Credence and Abba kind of shared some songwriting. Well, they all had great songs. Performing, Michael Jackson, of course, takes the cake on that. Songwriting giants. But Fogarty's vocals were always like my jam. And then since then, I'd say my second biggest influence was Chris Robinson from the Black Crows. Yeah. So, so yeah, rock and roll was always my thing. And I just have always enjoyed acting as well. Yeah. 
Because you, you at, when you were like in 10th grade learning the jazz chords for the jazz band, you weren't simultaneously like, I'm going to be the guy in Rent. Like, did you do Rent in high school? I didn't. I was Luther Billis. Sophomore year, I was Luther Billis in uh, South Pacific. And I tattooed a little ship on my stomach and I did the whole belly dance routine. Yeah. And, and then, that's uh, what kind of ignited the... So the theater passion came after rock and roll. Uh, they were always kind of together, but rock and roll has had much more of an influence on my life. Yeah. I think. You know, I think theater was just... I enjoy acting. I enjoy, I enjoy psychology. So I like getting into the idea of something. Because again, I think as artists, we all relate. So even if you're playing a villain, there's a part of you, that fucked up part in the back of your head that you might not want to admit to people that you have, that kind of lives there. Mm. And at the end of the day, you're telling a story, and that's, that's how theater started. Greek tradition or whatever was, you're telling a story that mm -hmm. people can relate, and then they take from it what they get. You know? well, and I like you in Woof. self... <laughs> well, that was intense, but I like you self-admitting that you're into psychology, because a piece of Jeff Toohey that I don't think people fully understand is you're a, you have a deep emotional intelligence. Thanks, man. Oh, you do, though. You can read people. You can, like, sense things about people, which goes in with reading a crowd, right, and your right. DJ experience and stuff like that. But, like, even at a, just an <coughs> intrapersonal level, you're like, whomever, like, oh, this motherfucker is whack. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, no, he's right. This motherfucker is whack. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I think that you, uh, did you study some psychology classes? I really thought you no, were but a I read a lot. major. No, you no, just, no, I, I just read, read a lot. about it. You know, I read a lot. Uh, Power of Now was one of my favorites when I first started. Uh, kind of reading that more existential crap, as a lot of people would call it. But I liked it. And then uh, tattooed it on my arm. So, you know, had to mean something. Yeah, and, I feel uh, like we haven't even... Let's talk about your Irishness. Well, I'll, let me finish the uh, psychology. For once, I'm actually, for once, I'm actually, like, not ADHDing. Um, uh, so the psych and then I read Quiet Your Mind was one of my favorites. And then just, like, I've always, I've always been more of a nonfiction reader than a fiction reader. And I've started trying to actually implement more of the fiction stuff, but uh, I love nonfiction. The psychology too. stuff, but like you know, like I think about that sometimes too. Like when I write certain songs, I mean, some songs you just write for yourself. Sometimes you write some candy, but then sometimes I feel like you write a certain song. And you're like, shit. I think I hope that the world needs to hear that now because I think that that's like a good thing. Because again, it all comes down to connecting and mm. serving other people. I mean, there are a lot of bands that talk about there was a time when we only played for each other. I've heard a lot of jam bands talk about that, like because that's all we had because the bar was empty and that is what you do to get through but I guess for me as an artist I I I can't see a purpose to what I do unless people are connecting even if it's one person two people I'm an artist to connect I think is what it always comes down to so and then the psychology of that is just what is it and there was a time where you know I used to just run around on stage like a maniac you've been there for a lot of it <laughs> And, you know, there's a certain gig where that's, that's what it calls for. Sometimes but, that's what it is. Sometimes that's the gig. But right? then I'm not sure if this is the actor or the psychology, but there's sometimes where you're singing a song and to really deliver it, you know, what, how does that deliver it physically? How's that? And if you look at, you know, a lot of the, you know, my heroes, that's how they did it too. You know, there's certain songs that need a gentle tone and a, or a whisper or something like that. I mean, you can get as deep as you want with that stuff as far as how specific you want to go. Or you can say, fuck it, it's rock and roll and it's improvisation, but... I've often tried to really get into capturing what I'm singing is what it looks like physically and things like that, you know. We could go on on that. No, but that's what sets you apart. Yeah. This is, there's, this is something I think about is that all these 
great front people, right? I would say nine times out of ten. Folk or funk? Front people. Front. Oh, thank you. Like anybody who can really lead a show. You could carry a whole show for two hours, and I can, we can name other artists who can do that. But I bet you nine times out of ten, the people that can do that did not go to conservatory and study jazz chords for an extra four years. Yeah, I didn't either. <laughs> well, it's just, this is, you know, there's certain performers. As an educator, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe you should check out getting, you know, BFA. Check out becoming a real performer. These are things, you know, truth, truth be told, and, and I could catch heat from certain people here in this, but for me, the BFA wasn't where it was at. You know, for me with a BFA, it was, uh, you know, for me with a BFA, I just thought to myself, you're either good at what you do or you don't. Mm. You either got it, quote unquote, or you don't. And that didn't mean I assumed that I had it, but I was like, I'm either going to have it or I'm not. And so I was like, and I don't think that you can teach it. You can certainly dive into the Shakespeare and stuff, and there's such a beautiful world for that. And of course, a BFA is not a waste of time, but for me, I just wanted to expand and I had the business because, you know, I mean, this secret famous is all talking about just the industry stuff. And, too. and I, I was like, you know what? I don't want to get fucked by a manager one day or by, I don't want to get fucked by a publicist or an advertiser or whatever. So I want to just add some kind of savvy to my talent. And yeah. hopefully my talent and some discipline and training in that will yield what that needs to yield. And then hopefully the business sense will come in so that I know if I really want to do this for a living... I need to know how to navigate the business world because at the end of the day, as much as it's great to make art, if you want to make that your commerce, and Prince talked about this so many times, it's a lot different when, you're, when your passion becomes your commerce. You know, there's a lot of negotiating within yourself during that. Oh, you're, <clears throat> yeah, it becomes challenging. It becomes drag. You have to, you ha you have to com compartmentalize pieces mm. of yourself. You know what yeah. I mean? Which, well, to I mean, be successful at it. I think a lot of us have a hard time, I mean, us meaning like musicians, but you know, people that I've known in New York for the last 13 years. It's very hard to, no matter how much PR and advertising training I have, no matter how much I've done for other organizations or things like that, it's very hard to turn that gun on yourself or you know, to turn the, you know, the spotlight on yourself and go, well, what are you as a product? And you're like, well, I'm everything. Because you want to be everything, especially if you dig... Prince, Michael Jackson, uh, John Credence, Abba, Abba yeah. you know, fucking classical musicals. You're like, oh, well, I can do it all. And, and truth, you can. As an artist, you can do all those things and find outlets. But sadly, I feel like in the market, sadly, but as business goes, well, what's your thing? We need, a, we, need a, we need to spoon feed what you are and what you do to people. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, it, there's very few artists, I think, you know, as we grow. I think that sometimes makes a difference between who transcends and who doesn't is realizing this is my brand and this is what I got to grab right now. And this is what I can do. Ryan Vaughn is a great cat. Uh, he's uh, into management right now. He used to be from New York, New York, for those who are listening or was living in New York, New York, and now is doing a lot of management work out in Los Angeles. He's a great person to talk to about this if you ever do. And as far as the cats who I think just totally have nailed that thing and live it, Paul Lauren is the shit, man. And Paul Lauren sang at my wedding, as yes. a lot of people in the industry would know. And that guy nails the whole like he has a he, thing. He is he's dialed he's, in a thing. He yes. is dialed in, man. And I think that guy is just hot shit. I really do. So when we're saying like marketing and business and tell, stuff like that, well, that's tell the listeners what Paul Lauren's thing is. Describe Paul Lauren is just a 
badass swinging cat. I mean, you go and hang out with that guy. He's drinking Negronis. He's just like, he's always sharply dressed. I mean, the guy just like lives it. He's just like this awesome retro 50s, 60s vibe, but like totally delivered with, you know, 21st century energy. Mm -hmm. And he's awesome. He's got badass guys playing. Nicky Barbato plays guitar for him. Steven Salcedo. Um, not sure, unfortunately, who else is in the band or whatever, but he's got a lot of great New York cats or whatever. And I mean, that's a guy for those who are in the industry or whatever, looking to figure out how you nail your brand. I mean, that guy is like... He is the thing. He is. I, I admire that guy. I looked at him, I'm like, shit, how do I apply that into what I do, you know? So let's turn the gun on you then. So what <laughs> is your thing? I mean, because you, you can do so many things. You can do too many things, right? You have this whole NOLA, like Bourbon Street kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. You've ventured into the country vibe, which that record isn't out, right? No, no, we've been... So, well, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that, but let's go on vibes first, and then we'll talk about <laughs> releasing albums versus not releasing albums. So the NOLA country thing or whatever. Yeah, you did I mean... the jam band, Percy Hill, Dave yeah. Matthews, 2005, character. Then the next record, you start to enter into a whole new era, right? Yeah, well, I think there's this quote. It's, uh, I read it in this book called uh, Love's Executioner. It's a psychology book, so I read that one too <laughs> by Irvin Yalom. That was awesome. But, and one of the things he says is, things fade, alternatives exclude. So one of the most paralyzing things people have in life is just making decisions. Mm -hmm. And they are... Decision uh, fatigue. Or, or so decide. So the suffix of side. Suicide, homicide, decide. Eyed means eliminating other things. So when you choose to do something, it means you choose not to do something else. Mm -hmm. You know... Not to decide is to decide. Yeah, sure, yeah. But so people are so paralyzed by decision because it means that you're committing to something one way or another, you know? Um, how did I get off on this tangent? What were we doing? Choosing vibes. Choosing vibe. vibes. Oh yeah. So you know you got to figure that out. So for me, you know, I think that we're somewhere. I think it would call. I would call it rock. I would call it uh, red dirt country. So I love the Texas country. The Nashville stuff's cool. Whatever. Like Stapleton's out of Nashville, or he bases himself out of it. And Sturgill Simpson and Jason Isbell. I love those guys. Like I like the gritty country stuff. You know, but. At the end of the day, you listen to those guys, they're really just like rock or Americana. They kind of remind me well, of the Creedence whole Nashville scene and all is that. all rock to me right now. You know? It's ridiculous. Well, I think those guys are rock. I think that there are some things that are just pop with a twang. You know, I think Luke that those Bryan. three guys are awesome. I think Luke Bryan's pop with a twang. You yeah, know, great songs or whatever, but great performer. But those three guys I really dig because it's really organic. You know, I like the Texas stuff. And then New Orleans, my song Bourbon Street, you know, going back to that album Cocoon. We had great players on them. I mean, we were fired up because we had a little bit of backing. So we had Terry Adams from NRBQ playing piano. Lenny Pickett, who's on Saturday Night Live right now, was on Tower of Power. He did the whole horn section. Mm -hmm. A lot of the guys Heavy. who were in my band were playing on it. Heavy uh, band. Our John favorite Gra drummer. John, John Graboff. Josh Dion played drums. He's mm -hmm. an animal. Uh, check out his band, Paris Monster, right now. On tour now. <laughs> and uh, John Graboff from Ryan Adams and the Cardinals. You know, I, I, so I, I know it sounds like a name dropping session right now and it, and it kind of is it's fine but, but uh <laughs> you know those those guys were all awesome on you that too you had and a just heavy make a decision. band yeah. yeah you had a heavy band and so but what happened is that right after the album was made and this will probably transition us into making new albums the funding dropped out so I had an album but I didn't have a way to push it and Bourbon Street because of Pandora which in my opinion is actually still the best electronic platform there is because of Pandora, that song like has like I can't even tell you how much you know I've I've gotten nice checks off that song and I credit it all to Pandora. 
Interesting. And I think that that's the thing to be said too about streaming too, because a lot of people are talking about this. And as I look at future business models and stuff like this, it sounds so unartistic, but it's part of the reality of keeping the lights on. Keeping it real, yeah. Um, keeping it real with Paul Madison. Um, Pandora's awesome because at its heart, it was called the Music Genome Project when it first started. And the whole point of it, uh, I mean, most business, I guess, want to make money, but I believe at its core and at its heart, the whole point of Pandora was, and in a lot of ways still is, though they try to compete now with, you can choose what songs to play, whatever. The heart of that pl- that uh, platform was turn people on to new shit. You made Steely Dan Radio, you might have heard a Percy Hill or a Jamiroquai song, you know? Uh, for me right now, you know, with my music coming out, the heavy great band out of uh, they had that How You Like Me Now song mm-hmm. out of UK we're on there Cage the Elephant Ain't No Rest for the Wicked we're played a lot on that station so on and so forth and it keeps it keeps building from that but the heart of Pandora was about turning people on to shit it was like having an electronic friend so as opposed to you and I like hanging out you know and uh, having you drinks you say check this out yeah. maybe smoking a dupe whatever I don't know if you do that or not you know yeah, I don't know course. if we can say that on air it's all but, good <laughs> but like it would be like me, like, yo, did you have you heard? Like, it was like just hanging out with my friends in seventh grade and trading Sepultura records or whatever it was. <laughs> you know, um, Pandora, Pandora was bro. all about that, and I think that's what that was what was great about that format. So that's how that kind of all came about, you know, with that last album. And so with making new albums, I feel like one of the questions you got to ask yourself is, as an artist, you constantly want to be releasing stuff if you have it, you know, whatever. Or for me, I wait a long time between albums all the time because I want to make sure the best shit and the most refined shit comes out. I don't believe in just throwing everything out there and consuming it. It's worked out great for some artists, but I like to, you know, have the best, keep it concentrated. And because the other question I ask myself is, well, what's the point? So from an artistic standpoint, I would release albums all the time. But when you think about how much it costs to make a really high quality album, because I won't, I don't want to do half-ass lo-fi stuff like, and I believe in paying people for their work as they record. The question when you make an album for me is, okay, we're going to make this album, but how are we going to promote it? How are people going to find out about it? Mm -hmm. Because as much as we all believe that we're awesome, you know, and a lot of people are are great talents, how are you going to break through the noise? Because there's so much out there. So I think that artistically, of course, I want to make albums all the time, and a lot of people do, but how do you decide if that's worth it commercially? Because you can sell merch, but nowadays a lot of people look at you sideways if you're selling a CD, because like, well, where am I going to put that? I mean, there's nothing shit, does, to this, do does this computer even have a disk drive that we're no, I don't recording even have, off of? Exactly. So, I don't, point taken. You know? I have no CDs in my life right now, Jeff. Yeah, I still got them all. I wouldn't sell them. I have them all, but I yeah. don't consume Use them. <sighs> anyway, that's, that's interesting. You're a Pandora success story, then, in a way. And I think a lot of I'd people say any, any still national, use any national, Yeah, no, people still definitely do. And you know, the awesome thing about Pandora, last I checked, anyway, is that they have the AMP platform, the... Uh, Art, artist, musician platform, whatever it stands for, it's an acronym, but you can go on there and you can find out who's listening to you where. Not their names, they don't give away the information, the personal information, but like you know what your top states are, you know what your top listening demographic is, you know, so I know the top 20 states that listen to Bourbon Street the most and like it the most and how old they are, what their age group is and what else they're listening to. So for, you know, for me that's a good trade-off. You know, because the money is not great from Pandora. I mean, I've made some great checks because thanks to Sound Exchange collecting and now whoever's collecting on behalf of that. But that's invaluable because you're getting airplay, you're getting exposed to other people, which is kind of what you wanted back in the day anyway, like a radio airplay so people would hear your shit. But now you're also getting to find out 
who digs your shit. Now that informs you as a business person too. Yeah. Like, well, where should I play? Maybe I shouldn't play this town because it doesn't seem like they're hitting on it as much. Whereas this town is, how do I find that venue? What's my age group? Because that informs you who you should advertise to, whatever. So I think that as much as like people would bitch and moan about how much money they make streaming, at the least with a service like Pandora, which again, I think is the best one from an artist's standpoint, definitely. Um, it's kind of a trade-off. It's like, okay, well, you might only be giving me half a cent per player or whatever the rate is now, but you're, giving, you're doing all this research for me you're that could have cost me metrics, thousands and yeah. thousands of dollars beforehand. So we're turning the spotlight back on you, though. That was where you were heading. In. Like You have a developing narrative of who Jeff Tui is as an artist, right? It was... We ended with your... New Orleans character, you know right. what I mean? And this new record that's hanging out. Yeah, well, I mean, so the thing is that, so I'm kind of approaching it the way we just talked about. It's like, we're recording left and right, you know, and I'm using, so my band has a bunch of different people. You know, there's like three or four drummers, there's three or four bass players, because especially when it comes to working in the field, these guys are all very talented people, so sometimes they get picked up for another gig. So you need a certain amount of people who know the part, mm -hmm. you know, and they're all incredible talents. Yeah, you um, have... And so we recorded it that way. Thus, you know, like, like, you know, we've had some of the guys from this lineup record, some guys from this lineup, and they're all great guys. So the, create, the creativity, we started recording a lot lately. So we're just laying stuff down left and right. We recorded some stuff up here. We recorded some with Brian Forbes, who has a great studio, uh, was in Abaraki for a while. I think they still play here mm -hmm. and there, but he has a great studio. I think it's called Supersonic in Brooklyn. Phenomenal engineer. And so I was like, okay, well, we'll record all this stuff because we can do that like that's like the inspiration is there the band is there let's start laying everything down and we'll just hold on to it and then figure out when to release it so we're kind of in that phase of some of these they so start you have out, a, a massive catalog of songs recorded that you're just sitting on right now is what you're telling me yeah and just you know and they started out as demos and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell these guys that but <laughs> ultimately but like I was and the agreement was alright we're gonna make demos but if we release as an album it changes the rate of what everyone's been paid or whatever because if I'm gonna make money on this you deserve to make more but at first it just started as demos but you know what's fortunate for a lot of us in New York is like you know and for me to have met these guys is that they're fucking burning so these demos don't sound like demos they sound <clears> like <throat> these guys are kicking ass and I mean when I listen back to my stuff I tell the engineer take out the vocals I just want to listen to these dudes and like I'm psyched that I wrote the song but I hear these badass motherfuckers just Crushing. Plant crushing these melodies and doing all these beautiful things, some of which I couldn't have even envisioned, you know. So, right now we're just recording everything and then we'll figure out how to release it. Because releasing it, I feel, is often the business side of it. But the creating part of it, you don't even have to worry about that. We're just trying to make the best shit possible. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if we have a stash of 20, 30 songs or whatever, then we can pick out maybe what's the album. And if they all flow together, cool. And if it was only demos, then we go find a producer. We keep it, you know, kind of seamless or whatever and have it all have the same kind of vibe and then go from there. And it should be just to... Didn't you just release an album? Was it an EP? A song? Weed and Rosé? I, I, I haven't figured anything out either, but I feel like... But is that an EP or is that an album? It was just a track. I'm just releasing track. tracks. I'm like a Justin That cover Bieber is brilliant. That, that, that cover artwork is brilliant. It's like you, you took like a Buffett vibe and like took it like... <laughs> it's like Margaritaville, like... With for like the, some for the true jam weed. band fam, yeah, yeah, on the cover, I you know, <laughs> the music we could get into later, but well, 
what I was going to say, Jeff, for your th- and then thanks for checking that out. That's nice of you. But to what kind of brought me into your orbit a little bit too is you're talking about these burning players. Is you are in like this? You are almost are like the, um, the fucking driver of this crazy scene of <laughs> Connecticut musicians in a way because I met Jeremy Goldsmith. I feel like we're on the plug here, right? right? But. I met Jeremy in a band. I met <clears throat> Drew, Archer, Asher. Who else is in your orbit? I mean, oh, Paul Emery's. Dude, when I met Paul Emery's, I remember him being like... Well, Paul, Paul's a New York cat, though, originally, though. All right, yeah, he, it is. He, Rochester. When I met him... I met him. Like, he played drums on Raw Power when I sang in Giggy Pop. That's how Paul and I met at the after party at Rockwood Musical. He was the drummer on Raw Power. He was the drummer on Raw Power? Yep. Wait, you met him before that, dude. Nope, that was the first time I ever met him. No, dog. Hands down. We'll we'll call up Doug Zito right now, bro. We have to. You want to talk about Doug Zito? (laughs) You don't want to talk about Doug Zito, okay, do you? Because let me tell you something about Doug Zito, okay? You don't fuck around. Paul Embrys and Jeff Tui will text... Text, mind you. Not speak only in this language. So you're trying to read the words. You're like, what? are they talking about right now well Doug, so Doug Zito's based on this character that it was just like it started out with this uh, stereotypical like Italian gangster Long Island maybe Waterbury Connecticut kind of vibe <laughs> at times of uh, you know just being lazy with your words but being a tough guy and then one day I think we were, we were sitting in the chicken box van in Nantucket heading to the beach or something like that and I was like I'm going to put on my Doug Zito and go to the wedding. And I was like, wait a minute. This character's name is Doug Zito because it was Tuxedo. Because the whole vibe of being the character of Doug Zito is that you do not pronounce hard consonants. Oh, okay. So everything you say to Ball Madison is like this. It's Ball Madison, not Paul Madison's. Ball Madison. This is the kind of shit you think of when you're on the road. It's a road game. Like shit is jid. Jid. <laughs> jid. You know, you can't jid. go sh. You can't even go sh. It's got to be jid. <laughs> I don't remember what they call that. So is that the strategy when you're actually texting it? Is that you lose? You got to lose the hard vowels. And con- oh, sorry, the hard consonants. <laughs> but sometimes you <laughs> might even try to soften the vowels too. I've been on text chains where like there's like six of those exchanges going on. I was I've been on like, Degs the changes. <laughs> Degs. So you would say like a text Zegged, change, like text would, instead of T X T E X T, it would be D E G Z D. Degs. Degs. I've been on Degs changes. I was going down as a medallion mood in the Bronx. <laughs> Can't say Bronx. Was in the Bronx, Bronx on Arter Avenue. Is this a real? Is is he a real person? I mean, nope, nope. This is I mean, he is now. This is, <laughs> he is now. Dude, was the terms of the uh, no hard consonants defined at that point in time? Well, it's just based on that. Oh, how you doing? How you doing? How, how, how you doing? doing? I'm doing, doing okay. You never know what I'm doing. So everything's kind of coming together like this, and you're like, what? So it just we just really took that and just turned like every sentence is a word. Oh, we're gonna go down to the bar tonight and drink some beers and dog to some girls. <laughs> Like no breaths, no nothing, no no articulation, just everything. My Zuxito, tuxedo. Yeah, Zuxito. I'm gonna wear my Zuxito to the wedding. Wow, that is really good. So, 
That was a wonderful sidebar. But you're, the, the crew that you roll with, because you have every gig in New York, right? Basically. <laughs> right? I mean, well, is not this how every. You, well, this is how you put this squadron together that you fucking, you're like the... Well, I think that you just you, you play with certain like people. The, uh, and the, Bud, you, the Budweiser horses, you know what I mean? You have like an <laughs> eight horse chain, and you're just like, whoosh, this horse dies. You're like, get every reason there, fuck McKinley. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, no, they're both and then they're both great. They're both oh, on the first no, call. Of but, course yeah. they're both great. But like, that's what I'm saying is I think like when I met some of those guys after seeing the Iggy Pop performance and then whomever, and then it was I, like for me personally, I'm putting the pieces together and they're like, oh, you, you don't know Jeff that well? I'm like... What? No. And then, yeah, so, and then we're missing Eric, the guitar player. Eric Arachi. So uh, most of the time it's Eric Arachi and uh, Jeremy Goldsmith are two guitar players. And two then Evan O'Malley for a while, but he just moved to L.A. So that was a little crushing to the stable, <laughs> to, to use your analogy. <laughs> Evan O'Malley, who has he's been my... Amanda Brown right now, and he's badass. You, uh were texting me about him and I just recently became a Facebook friend so, so I've been like Facebook stalking him I've seen his whole oh, Facebook badass. life no I've known he's Irish his... so we'll go back to the Irish thing dude too, I've but, known uh, yeah please let's get to the Irish thing yeah. I've known that Emmett was badass but like you didn't know how badass I didn't realize that he was what Enrique Iglesias' guitar player or yeah yeah and he was in a great band with Colin Smith called Mr. North and that, Mr. they North. had some really good stuff going on I mean Colin's voice is sick I know some of the other guys in the band, but I know Emmett and Colin Best or whatever, and they, they are sick. All right. T talk to us about your Irishness. Okay. What do you want to know? About my Irishness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, okay, to, to address an earlier point is you can be very influenced by, like, the American blues tradition, but you are clearly influenced more from the you know, like the English folk song, the country song tradition. You, yeah, you, you are like an Irish troubadour. You don't... I think that's kind of happened inadvertently, so I want to... I would like to... I turn the spotlight. I'd like to hear about you're, this, actually. You're a writer. You're a thinker, and you're, you know, you're not necessarily a jerk offer. You know what I'm saying? In mm -hmm. terms of... I mean that in the most Thanks. guitar way. Like... Right. You probably checked that out, and you were doing that thing, and then you're like, I sang. I can sing. What's the point of this? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think every musician, almost in a way, is like on this journey to discover their own voice. Well, I think the song's the most important thing. I mean, I've heard so many badass people in New York. I mean, look, man, there's so much talent in New York. You know, and that's the best thing about moving to a major city, if you're looking to really do this, is that it'll, it'll help you bring your A-game, because you'll realize how much talent is out there. But the song, if you don't have the song at the end of the day, you can have a worse voice, you can have a worse band. If the song is there... I mean, that's like Nirvana 101. It was a badass band. Kurt had a very identifiable voice, but those songs were incredible, you know? So I think the song is, is very important. I mean, from the Irish standpoint, though, I think that, uh, I don't know. So I'm actually adopted. That's a fun fact or whatever. So my, my adopted parents, my mother's half German, half Swiss. My father's 100% Irish. So I, I was very close with both sides of the family growing up. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, as I came into New York City, particularly, yeah, I guess it even started before that. I don't know, really know where the infatuation with Irishness actually came in, to be honest. Um, There's a lot of badass Irish Could, bands. I mean, you just, just said you're, you know, maybe the part. Your father 
is 100% Irish. Yeah, my grandmother was straight off the boat from Sligo. My uh, grandfather, actually my great grandfather's ring is my Irish right now. He worked with Buffalo Bill and whatever back in the day. So I know there's always this, not, not, not to, uh, you know, I loved the German side of my family too, but there was something, it sounds so stereotypical, but there was like a hard-assness to the Irish. There was like a hard-working thing, and that was just further confirmed when I moved to New York. I mean, I know a very successful, uh, my friend Triona, who owns Triona's downstairs Triona. from, you know, one of my favorite hangs in the city, just, you know, it's right downstairs from my yeah. apartment. You know, I love Red Lion and Slane and Bank and Seahorse and all those places, but uh, in the city. But my friend Triona said to me one time, you know, I was going to bartend something. This is before music was totally becoming a full-time thing after the initial deal. And I was like, maybe I should go bartend something, but I don't know. It's Memorial Day week or Labor Day weekend. She's like, you should go do it. She's like... I'm like, what? She's like, have your fucking Labor Day the weekend after. She's like, I will shovel shit for money. And she owns an amazingly successful bar. And so just, I think, first of all, a lot of the venues who have been incredibly supportive, like the Irish O'Neill's Pub in, in South Norwalk is another example. Uh, it was O'Toole's run. Now it's called the Trinity in New Haven. My friend Damien Cashman, who had the portable Irish bar that was at the wedding. The Ramblin' Inn? The Ramblin' Inn. That was my uh, wife's favorite part of it. Yeah, she was taking. She took so many pictures of that. <laughs> so, like you know, there's really this, and and I'm I'm sure it is, it's very common. Probably a lot of people who who uh, you know emigrate here or whatever. But for me, I just related because of the Irishness of my history, or whatever. Like, there's such a hardworking sense of the Irish, and the Irish love having what they call the crack or whatever. C R A I C, good crack. Like, oh, that was good crack, wasn't it? Like, it was a good time. Like, crack is like all around good fun. Mm -hmm. And the Irish, I mean, I've worked in bars for the Irish where there's nobody in there and they still pay the band at the end of the night and they'll hire you for the next week and the week after because to them, it's like, this is what our culture is about and this is what we're going to do. And so that's kind of how I've become even more really aligned with that line of thinking. You know, and I'm not to say that doesn't exist in other cultures, but just for me, due to my, and actually... Bloodwise, you know, uh, my birth parents, I'm actually 75% Irish. My last name was actually Flaherty. And uh, I was Christopher Flaherty was my birth name, actually. Christopher Flaherty. Christopher Flaherty. Very Irish. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, so I'm sure, you know, that's part of it. So it's in the blood, it's in, it's in the culture, how I grew up. And then just moving to New York, it's just, you know, the industry is so dominated by Irish. I mean, they just run a lot of the nightlife, mm -hmm. and they're mm -hmm. so loyal. They they pay on time. They, you know, they hook you up with drinks and food, and they're just so like, no, it's important for us to have this. It's a very cultural thing that they believe music is important, you know. And I would argue actually that, yeah, I guess I would say actually, as much as a lot of cultures embrace music, when it comes to business people in New York, in my experience, the Irish like gotta have their music sometimes seven nights a week. And so obviously that finds a soft spot in my heart. Yeah. You can relate to that. The Irish. So I'm just making sure. Are we cool? Yeah. Let's take a can pause. Can I pee? Let's take a pause. Let's take a pause. All right. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to sit down on this at any point too, just feel free to grab a seat. I'll take another one. Thank you. Uh, sure. Guys, that was great news because Jeff Tui and I have gone on some mandates. In fact, that was my dear friend's bachelor party. He's never going to get married, so we had a bachelor party. And I asked Jeff, as soon as he arrived, 
Jeff, do you have to pee? And he's like, no, man, I'm cool. And then all day. And then I don't think you peed the whole day. So I'm very happy that you know that I actually have to pee once a while. <laughs> That's like our thing. Every time we hang out, it's like, you got to pee, bro? You never pee. I, I hang out with you. I'm like, oh, I got to go pee. <laughs> yeah, that was your thing about that last gig that we had in Atlanta. You're like, dude, you memorize songs and you never have to pee. <laughs> What's up with you? Are you an android? Uh, no, you are, dude. Well, if it makes anybody feel better, I had to pee for the last like 30 minutes on that. Oh, episode. God. I All feel. Right, we took a pause. I feel a lot better about my. Human is squirrel human, bladder. Human yeah, because Kenny Shaw, he always makes fun of me. He's like, "Man, what do you have to fucking pee so much?" And I'm like, "It's all about breaking the seal. As soon as you break the seal, it really is true. Then you got to just keep going." Oh, I love peeing. Yeah, you feel better. Anyway, okay. What were we talking about? We were talking about your Irishness, secret urine. With Paul Hassan. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to secret urine. <clears throat> No, everybody pees. I'm into peeing. I don't know why you hate it so much. I don't hate it, man. You I don't hate it at all. Jeff. Look, bro, I pee when I got to pee. Have you ever, have you ever left the red line stage to go pee? I re- I've left the red line stage to take a shit. <laughs> 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 and it was, and it was like one thirty in the morning, so there was no way I was taking a shit there. And, 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 and you had to go and home. Everybody, I ran around the corner of the one apartment. Yeah, and I went there. I was like, "Yo, sing a song." So yeah. <laughs> You're like, you've been better. Took 10 to 15, so. you know. Tim, thank you so much. Yeah, no oh, man. Tim hooking us up oh, here at Woodbury Brewing Company is, in Woodbury, Connecticut. Oh, my gosh. And this is another Lord Robo glorious. Yeah. A great, uh, Cheers, a great live music venue here in. Uh, do you drink? Do you drink during these usually? Um, so I, we drank during the Chris Anderson. Is this episode 10? This is episode 10. All right. Happy, uh, happy 10. With Chris and Rebecca, yeah, they were the well with a band like, like a, Whiskey Heart. You better you better be drinking yeah, something. We, <clears throat> you drink whiskey? We drank wine actually on oh, Tuesday nights. They have like a very regimented drinking pattern. <laughs> you know, well, they were like, okay, did well, I hear you say the word is, tequila cleanse the other day? I'm like, man, that should have been saved for my episode, man. I want a tequila cleanse. Right now. <laughs> That's that was great in that last. Yes, uh, so listen to the uh, Rebecca Havilland and Whiskey Heart uh, podcast that Paul did along with uh, Chris Anderson, old partner at Whiskey Heart, great bass player. And uh, I think he said something about somebody being on a tequila cleanse, and I got really jealous that that wasn't going to be reserved for this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude. But so, we're drinking the Lord Hobo Experience. Glorious, or whatever. Hey, glorious yeah, Oh, glorious. my God. I, what a beautiful... This place is amazing. And Tim is... One of the owners So he's the owner? He's one of the co-owners, yeah. This place is great. There's a lot of great stuff in here. So... Jeff is a quite the curator, curator of events. Okay. Because I was like, well, only Jeff could do this because so Jeff just got married a week ago. Uh, I think now like probably two or three weeks ago or something like that. Was that two weeks ago? May 6th. I think it was about two weeks ago. Two weeks and change. Do you want to just tell people what you did for the two weeks before your wedding? I mean, so tell, can you have any stories from the trail? Well, uh, so, I mean, I think that that's why, I mean, in relating it to kind of what we're talking about, about art and music and stuff like that, I just think that it's important to have other things. I think that for a lot of us, and, you know, I would say this to a lot of younger people who who come into New York, whatever, it's very easy to become so engulfed in what you're trying to do. You know, you're trying to make a name for yourself. You're trying to play gigs all the time. 
Um, that was one of the things in Power of Now or whatever, and just a lot of, you know, I think I've just learned in life is that you got to have other outlets, you know, for the output, there needs to be input, so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. for me, I've just really taken a hiking. It started with uh, me and my buddy Johnny B, who had a great band called Adios Pantalones from Yukon. Who I met back Adios in the day. Pantalones. And he also plays in the old school hip hop tribute Concrete Jungle I play with, with whom I play. Sorry, poor grammar. We started hiking a bunch around here whenever I would come back from the city, and uh, we did all the Mattituck Trail, which is up around here, and then we did the Mohawk Trail, which is an old part of the Appalachian Trail. And so I was like, oh, well, what else are we going to do? And I was like, wait, part of the Appalachian Trail runs through Connecticut. So we finished the whole Appalachian Trail up here, sometimes going down these hills and like ice and shit. It was pretty fucking dangerous, actually, and kind of stupid, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> and I've since done actually. Like, and, right. and I've well, actually that's done, not my best decision. I only, I only have 20 miles left in New York, too. I did most of that. It became an obsession. Like, well, if I'm going to do the Appalachian Trail, I'm just going to do it. And, you know, in pieces. I don't have time to through hike right now. It's like eight months or something? Or uh, six yeah, months? Five yeah, months? Four to six, probably, depending yeah. on how fast you're going. But we, as you know, you and I had a gig in Atlanta where we went down there and I had the best bachelor opening party ever thrown oh by these boys uh, thrown by the cool down as, as our as our fun band is called and then uh, truly a special bar yeah it was a great place and so uh, <laughs> so we uh, I mean we could Hot tell them, we could tell them about it if we want to you know my wife knows about it so <laughs> good <clears throat> well I was thinking about it today that it was it was called the Claremont this is about life on the road, everybody. Just so in case you're wondering where we're, in case we're, you think you're going to get off topic. So. And it was, it wasn't like a strip club, and it wasn't burlesque. It's its own somewhere in between. Yeah, right. It felt it, it felt very safe. Yes, congenial, mixed gender. Yes, men and women. It wasn't like you know private booths or any kind of thing like that. It was just a no, really fun, fun dive fun. bar that was kind of super. You know, party expression, but like. Just, well, no part of the expression. It was just like a loose vibe. You know, it was really cool, really fun. Uh, everybody was there. It was having a good time. Great jukebox. And then at the end of at the end of the gig, the gig, <laughs> the hangouts called the gig. We call everything gigs in <laughs> yeah. music. Um, there was like this fucking dude smoking meats outside. Oh my god, that's like selling like chicken sandwiches and all this stuff. Incredible. Dude. And so then, so then after that, I knew I had a week off. And God bless my wife for letting me do this. Not letting me, but not throwing a fit about me doing it. I should say. Because this was like 10, or 10 to 14 days before the wedding. We had a show in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Then I had a couple of days to kill before we went to Jazz Fest for my bachelor party in New Orleans. And uh, so I decided, well, I'm trying to kill the Appalachian Trail. So to my friend Johnny B, the uh, sax player who plays us a bunch, and my friend PJ flew down, great friends, and we hiked 76 miles in four days. And there was a lot of rain during that. I mean, it rained you know, three out of the four days that we were on it. And uh, are you? Cr- I mean, oh, that's awesome. No, man. That's so. I, so I'm talking about input versus output. Like that shit really fulfills me, man. Just like it's periods of like you're in the middle of the woods. It's very humbling. There are moments where like shit. I'm far. Like you I can be three. Mi- you could be three miles into the woods. Doesn't matter if you have a heart attack or you fall or something like that. It's gonna take a long time for somebody to get to you when there's no roads around you or whatever like that. So it's very humbling. And uh, you know, I restorative. I did, I did, I did the lion's head, the lion's head, and the bear mountain, uh, bear mountain, and lion's head and bear mountain in Connecticut. I did that hike by myself, and I ended up writing a song while I was doing it. You know, called "This Could Have Been the Night," that we have yet to record. But just walking through that because you're by yourself and you're middle. You know, it sounds so uh, 
pretentious, like, oh, we're in nature, and I was thinking about this, oh, I got inspired. But it's you're by yourself, thing, you're trucking, and you're doing your thing, and I feel like that's when a lot of the best ideas come, you know? So we Because you're unplugged, trail. you're removed from screens. I've written songs mowing the lawn, too, man. That's what I like about, I like painting interiors. I like, uh, I've never painted an exterior, but I, I painting interiors or, because it's like work that's like fulfilling. You can see the work when you're done, mm -hmm. and you just zone in. And it takes you in, you know, uh, I think it was Thomas Edison who said, or Albert Einstein was brought up that a lot of the best ideas come from areas of, or from places of no mind. So it's like when you actually stop lunching on the shit that you're thinking about and you just go do something else, your subconscious works that out. And there have been plenty of times where I've woken up with a finished song because you stopped thinking about it and just your mind kind of does work on its own or if you think it's your soul or whatever the hell you think it is. But like... Sometimes when you just disengage for a minute, it gives your brain and your, your creativity, your inspiration time to regenerate. So that's why I, I do a lot of hiking. These moments where you're simultaneously present, super present and absent, right? In a way, yeah. right? Sometimes when you... And so I think we're, I'm going to finish New York in the next two days. I'm going to be done with New York or whatever. And I, I love doing that shit because it's... The next two days? Like tomorrow, yeah. this is what your plan is? What, yeah. A I, subtle Wednesday for I'll Jeff start, Tui? And then I'll start Massachusetts uh, next week. And finish that, and then Vermont. I gotta finish Vermont. I gotta finish New York, and then Massachusetts, Vermont. So sorry, I said Vermont. Massachusetts, Vermont, New Jersey, and I gotta finish New York. You've done all year. of Maine. Uh, no, no. So I gotta finish that to keep on. My goal is to finish it by the time that I'm 40 years old. So I gotta do about 500 some odd miles a year. So in order to finish my goal for the year, and I'm gonna crush that shit by August. I gotta do it. It's like an obsession. Everything I do is an obsession. And a lot of people who, you know, are into art or into things like that, that becomes your obsession. So it's good to find multiple outlets for your energy. You're actually, yeah, you're, you're like actually ADHD. Like you're... Oh, yeah, straight up. Because I don't think a lot of people are. Unmedicated ADHD. Yeah. <clears throat> if I can... I hope I, that people aren't getting bored by me, my tangent section on this. No, not at all. I'm fascinated by the hiking portion of this. I, um... So as we've alluded to, Jeff is a master memorizer. I learned so much from watching you in Atlanta learn that tune. Yeah. How many times Thanks. did you listen to that tune? Like 20 times in a row? Yeah, 20, 30. And then you became emotionally involved. Oh, it's a beautiful tune. song. What was it, it called? It is a beautiful song. Uh, I Hope That's Me by Brad Paisley. Was that yeah. what it was called? Yeah. It was Brad Paisley. Yeah. Somebody's and then you're like, you're doing the dishes, up. and then you're playing it, and then you like would reflect on it, you'd like step away from it. <laughs> no, like the whole Creeper, experience. Creeper I was, was like, watching me the whole time. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> what's Jeff doing now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, for that gig, so I mean, I was, you know, as much as we so, all so, like to claim. Just, just as a professional note, too, that Jeff learned the request on the day of the gig. That's, mm -hmm. you know, it takes me like a week to learn how to sing a tune. You do it in one day. Well, and, but then I started like, you know, we had, we had all, st the band had all stayed together in the same spot. So I just, you know, we had a, some cleaning had to be done. Some of the guys had gone to set up the gig. Some of us had to take care of the place. And so it was inadvertent. I, I just knew the dishes needed to be done, but I kept listening to it. And I wonder if that actually helped that I was washing dishes and cleaning shit and kind of shut down, but just kept it playing. That's exactly what I mean, you were just talking about. I mean, it's a great fucking song too. So, I mean, there's that. I mean, it's a beautiful song. Well, it's just what you... You were just talking about it. like you unplugged and went in. Yeah. What was your Edison quote or mindful, mindless uh, uh, engagement? No, I, 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 I'm not sure if it was Edison or 
Einstein, or they've both probably cited this kind of stuff, but it's just the idea of uh, the moments of inspiration don't come from moments of thinking. They come from when you actually shut off from thinking. So, you know, as far as memorization, just to go on that quick tangent, it's just, uh, you know, a lot of songs tell a story, and if they don't tell a story, you can find a way that they tell a story. Mm -hmm. You know, Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan was like a tough song to learn at first. It was like fucking, I don't want to count right now, but there's like probably like five to seven verses or something like that in that song. And they're actually all, it was the Dada age, as they called it, so it's not written in order. They're all like different, each verse is like, a different part of the story and it's not told necessarily in order but the visuals are so much there so for me sometimes if I'm trying to learn something you know you could do the old trick of writing it down but for me I just listen nonstop. I sing it I sing it back and I think about the story that the song is telling if I'm learning somebody else's song or if I'm trying to figure out how to deliver a song better that I've written and you just uh, you just gotta listen to story and that kind of comes back to the acting thing like you're telling a story and it might not be in order, it might not be whatever, but you're conveying something, and what's the maybe order of that? You mm-hmm. know, finding, you know, order in the chaos or whatever, you know, and for a pop song out of Nashville, it wasn't hard to do, but it's a beautiful song. I think you and I both got choked up when we played it, too. Like, I was oh, like, it is a beautiful somebody's song. got a... <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's me. It's a beautiful tune. No, it is a beautiful and, you tune. Know, and, and to speak to that, too, you know, I know we talk about a lot of different Obviously, a lot of us aspire to write our own stuff and to and tour and, and do all that stuff. But I gotta say, I don't regret a single day of any of the of any of the cover gigs that I've done no or way. that. A, because it's fucking super fun. It's always fun. But B, I learned a lot about music through playing other people's music. I mean, that's kind of how it works, as from parent to child or anything else. Like, you watch how other people do it. I mean, how many kids maybe model their batting stance against you know or you know. Um, according to what Jeter would do mm-hmm. or something like that. I'm a Mets fan, but, you know, modeled it after that and, and then, you know, modified it or something like that. I mean, that's, that's kind of the human condition is that we watch other people that we think are fucking great and then we try to put our own touch on that. So for people to be like, oh, that's not fresh or that's not a cool vibe, it's like everything is influenced by something unless you live in a bubble and then I kind of don't even want to hear what the bubble creates. So... No, we don't want to. So hear all, that. The co- that's all the all the cover shit. I mean, <clears throat> you know, I mean, that's how the band. I mean, like, I think like whenever I'm like, oh man, I'm doing another Roadhouse gig. This gig doesn't pay that much, you know. Or whenever I've done that, I just think like, you're working on your craft and you're playing music for a living, and you're working with other great people. And like, you know, if you ever read uh, "This Wheel's on Fire" by Levon Helm, that's an amazing account of the real Roadhouse shit. I mean, the band for eight years was just a Roadhouse band playing gigs in like Arkansas and shit like that and then became Dillings back and band and then like did their thing or you know some version of that they're playing with Ronnie Hawkins and uh, but that's awesome that's what builds character and oh, individuality yeah. and like you, you know I, I had dated somebody who was a theater actress and she said one of the things that she had liked about my voice but about voices in general is that theater people it's like oh they, they hit it with this ease a lot of the time or whatever or seeming ease and that's beautiful and it flows she's like but I love the fact that when rock singers saying something like yourself or somebody else it's like you're not sure if they're gonna hit it and then they hit it and you're like holy fuck it's like almost like that (laughs) rock and roll thing takes you on the journey of like holy shit they hit it like is the touchdown gonna happen is the field goal gonna happen and that's one of the great things about rock and roll that I love or about that kind of 
music is like, you know, from a singing standpoint is, are they going to nail this? Like, cause that's, what's great about rock and roll is like, this is going so well, like something's got to get fucked up at some point. And then when it just takes off, you know, that's, that's the magic. That is the magic. That's a whole thing. Well, you, um, we were alluding to Chris Anderson. I always think of what he said is you have to, he's, I feel like his head is looming right here. So Chris, I hope you're listening, but it's like, you have to do all the small gigs so you can do the big gigs. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Like in, and that's hard to explain to people and help people understand. And that's why music sucks today. A lot of the time, the pop scene or whatever, is that a lot of people Fuck put in the work. Now, Kendrick's badass. So like, if I listen to like the top 50 sure. on Spotify, Kendrick's badass. There's a couple other people, man. But I mean that, you know, I think that that's, that's, the, that's the combination that you're working at versus, you know, the art commerce thing, which is constantly a, a thing that you're talking about or yeah. that anyone's talking about is that so many people don't put in the time. You know who else is badass? She's Nantucket girl originally or like on Nantucket a lot is uh, Megan Trainer. She works her ass off, man. And she's a good performer dude, and like, writes great stuff. But like, those are rarities <clears throat> in that. But you, when you hear those songs come out, they just—they're more lived in, you know. And I think that the world, whatever, I'm not gonna get. That's a whole thing. Uh, fucking, I'm like, I am gonna get this way. I think that especially this country, like, we could use just a little more realness, you know. Clearly, everything. And I think that that's reflected plastic. in the art. I think when everything's plastic and the lyrics are like, "I love you," "I hate you," "ah, blah, blah, blah," "don't talk to me." Like, nobody's singing about real shit. And that doesn't mean everything has to get deep, but it's just like, nobody wants to put in the extra effort, you know? And that's, that's coming down to grammar. That's coming down it's to... Like your Irish roots. Yeah, it's... The my crack. Irish, my Irish roof. <laughs> my, my Irish roots, indeed. But uh, my Irish friends would think that was horrible. But whatever. <laughs> Fuck them. Um, <laughs> feck them, sorry. Fuck them. We feck know where em. Feck comes from. Feck comes from my friend who owns the Ramblin' Inn that was at the wedding tells me that Feck is that it's a sin to swear if you're, you know, definitely as a Catholic, maybe as a prostitute, it's a sin to swear. So you say feck, and that's not fuck. <laughs> so you really half-ass with feck, F-E-C-K, feck. Oh, uh, you fecking Egypt. That that's not fucking really idiot. swearing. Because well, you're not swearing because you didn't say fuck. Right there, yeah. yeah there yeah. you go. That's really. Um, but I think, you know, I just think, I don't know. <clears throat> I think that the industry now could use a little more, uh, more realness, you know, and, uh, and we're not well, that far. From, we're I not, mean, we're not yeah, far yeah. from. I mean, there's the music is out there. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just not I being plugged. Maybe it's because it costs more money to have a band, as opposed to having one producer <clears throat> produce shit and then have somebody shit all over it. You know. Yeah, I'm I mean, about, the artists you're talking about, it's like really. And there's good image stuff. Based. Don't get me wrong. I don't hate everything, but what's that? It's all like so image based, and all of the music sounds the same to me in the pop zone, right? Like Kendrick well, does not. About, sound. Let's, talk, let's talk about image. Actually, where do you think that image and entertainers come together what do you think about well, in that? the day of cable tv and donald trump and the internet no, i'm talking I mean, about now like, i'm talking about now no, and i'm just talking like, about right now and i'm talking about so like we're in here in a roadhouse or not a roadhouse it's a beautiful place but like it's it's in a road it's it's a traditional music venue right you don't have so to at the end of the day it just depends how you but it depends how you bring it you're a good looking guy but like i can you. get away with like just hanging here you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no but thank you but like well no but seriously like, i mean that that's a question too it's like how does fashion work in music? Let me. So now I'm now I'm bringing it up to a topic, and I want fashion. I want P. Maddie of Secret Famous to talk about this. Of course. What about image, right? So for me, and for a lot of people that I know, we're very comfortable. I'm, uh, dude. I'll go fucking drinking in fucking sweatpants. 
you know, I'll go drinking in gym gear. Like I meant to go to the gym and I didn't go and I'll go and I'm, comf- like, oh. I'm comfortable with it because I'm still paying 20%, you know, or more on a tip and I know how to carry my, you know, conduct myself in a, an environment or whatever. So, but there are a lot of people who are like, if you want to be noticed, you got to dress this way. You got to dress for attention. And I think that that's a conflict when we're talking about developing your brand mm-hmm. and your identity or, or your vibe or whatever. You know, musically is one thing. Musically, I feel like it's easier. But now it's like, I'm totally down with wearing, right now I'm wearing a hoodie that I bought on Nantucket when I was bicycling after a gig at Cisco Brewers. And then you got cold and you're like, I need a hoodie. Uh, yeah, I got cold and I bought a hoodie and now I'm wearing ripped jeans and like some Tommy Hilfiger boots that I've had for 10 years. And I'm totally down with this. But some people are like, ah, you're not going to get, you know, you're not really developing your identity that way. So where do you think that fashion and music come together? Well, after three Lord Hobo glorious sales, <laughs> my thoughts on fashion very clearly. Fashion is bullshit, right? If you're wearing a tie, you're clearly someone else's bitch, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Or like... Everybody, how about people who sag their jeans down low? Like, where does that where does that come from? That comes from prisoners who aren't allowed to have belts anymore. Oh, I heard are, it was if you let your pants pants sing that. Well, let's we'll just not go there, right? Like, so it's like it's, it's <laughs> this the the cool thing about fashion. The cool thing, okay, in a positive spin of that is like it begins as the outcast of society, right? Like, you are trying to stand out from the crowd which doesn't exist in Instagram and Facebook world. Like, so your question was clearly, where do fashion well, so and the, music Yeah, and, 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 and to that, so like a lot oh, of people man, are like, oh, well, so like I said, if you're singing a certain thing or doing a certain thing on stage, sometimes you want to, maybe your movement reflects what you're saying or your, your into, look or, 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 the way, or the way that you're saying that, right? something, right? Like the way that you're speaking it. You know, I mean, I remember recording a song, Light My Heart, on my last album, Cocoon, and being like, he's like, I need it to sound more intimate. It's like, still get light. Like, and I thought it was you did the, the cheesiest. York? Yeah. I thought it was the cheesiest thing. Did you end up keeping that take, though? Yeah, it was great. It, I mean, it was a very good recommendation on Danny Bernini, who's the producer of that album. It was a very great That's recommendation. Yeah. But, you know, so people are like, well, then your look should reflect the tunes that you play. This and is I what managers that. or PR people and this is why, to and, you, and, and you're like, fuck you, man, whatever. No, I, I said fuck you, but I don't think that they were wrong. From a business standpoint, I don't think they were wrong at and all. Think about who you referenced earlier. Or they, I don't think they are wrong. Is uh, Paul Lauren. His look is completely dialed in. I'll do everything that guy does is Thank so you. dialed in. Paul Lauren wears I'm a super three piece suits with I'm a pocket squares that are just so no, dialed he's also, in. But the thing is, he, he's genuine about it. He See, re- that's the thing about and that's, Paul. And, that's and I don't what, and really know that about him, but he is actually who he pretends to be you know well he doesn't pretend that's no, the thing he, he, he found that came out he found a re- wrong, he found a real comfort in, like, in a high end state yeah, yeah you know and that's shit man that's what i would like to nail from a fashion standpoint you know but it's but the thing is you start dressing a certain way and it's not you people will know that you feel uncomfortable in your own skin for sure people are constantly trying to figure out what no, they no. should be yes. To clarify, and that guy, Paul is not pretending. Paul is no, that person. No, yeah, yes, totally. Yes, to make sure my language is clear. Paul Holy Lauren's God. clearly going to be your next guest after all this I have growing to, out no. over him. Yeah, we're like Paul Lauren. Paul Lauren, as he sings Spanish at your wedding, 
Even my wife was like, Jesus. That band was Christ. sick. But that's, oh, that's that a total sign. So anyway, back to so, fashion, though. So, how do you re- really feel about fashion and music? How do I really feel? Like the real talk is like I, I like to make a statement with fashion. It's a fashion wasteland out there right now. You know what I mean? I feel like you can wear a simple pink shirt and people are like, oh my god, you're wearing pink, and you're like, what the f- what? Well, what about you said about compartmentalizing? You got to be good at compartmentalizing. So how about this? Especially if you go under your own name, right? Because you do some gigs under P. Matty or Paul Madison. And I do every every original gig I do is under my name, mm-hmm. which is new. Yeah, that's a new. But it's thing almost for me. like even if it's under your name. Well, what's your performer about? Because I'm down and put on a T-shirt I got from performing at the New York City Marathon, and hang on running pants with a backwards hat and go mow the lawn. That's who you are behind the scenes. But it's like when who's you're performing. When you're performing, when yeah. you're performing who's your you persona know, on stage. Yeah. yeah. You know, and that I, you know that might sound unromantic to a lot of people listening. I think that most of the demographic listening to this are people who perform music or whatever. But I think that's something that we all think about a lot of the time. Is like, okay, well, who I am on the stage? Like, I, you know, you've done gigs with me at, in New York City where I'm hanging off the speakers, pouring beer over my head, and shotgunning <laughs> shit. And I can't live like that every day. I mean, we oh. saw what happened to a lot of the bands in the '80s who lived like that. They're, you know, either dead or like totally raw vegan now and like doing <laughs> yoga all the time. Like, it's like. The extremes or whatever, you can't live like the persona on stage. Yeah, no, you can't live like that, of course. You know, that's one that's what we love about actors and stuff. So they take a role. So then it's like, all right, how do you create this role that's genuine, but that's a little heightened? So that was kind of what I was asking about with fat and fashion happened to be the angle I took when we were talking about that. But it's a fascinating question. I mean fat fashion in general to me is bullshit, but it's such an image-based society right now, right? Like you can do a whole, you know, as a performer, more than anybody, you could go up there, sing your ass off for two hours and people will be like, yeah, so you're wearing that Mets hat? You're like, motherfucker. <laughs> that's what I, you're I, gonna I, talk I, about I would right punch now. somebody if they talk shit about my Mets You know hat. what I'm saying though, is like, oh, you're wearing your guitar higher. I'm like, of all the things, that's what you know. People aren't talking about the music, you know what I mean? They're talking about like what you look like or what the vibe was or whatever. You know? I think that, you know, at the end of the day, I think that the best thing you can do, I think that what I came to terms with is the best thing you can do for your image is to be in shape. I don't look like I'm following that right now <laughs> three weeks after my wedding. <laughs> but that, that's, but that is my, my opinion on that is that, you know, the best thing you can do is just be in shape. That's it. Well, you're then you can drape whatever you want yeah. over you. It's true. If you're super in shape, you can wear a garbage bag yeah. and be ready to rip, you know? Yeah. Paul Lauren looks, he's in great shape. Great shape. What is what is this? <laughs> right, we're getting a little too crazy on the, on the Paul Lauren thing. <coughs> I what God bless him. God is. Yeah, God bless him. Anyway, so, so what tell else? Me, tell me what's going on with the, the new tracks because lay your body down. We have lay your body down. We have a song called "All My Friends Are Getting Married." I'm just getting stoned. Uh, oh, that's not married. A good trick, but uh, oh, yeah, it's, it's it sounds great. Uh, already been drunk twice today, which actually ends with being. Having been drunk three times a day, it's based on a true story. One of my first times in New Orleans, and I wrote it when I was at the Daffodil Festival in Nantucket. I was biking out, and I was biking back, and I wrote it while I was biking. So again, just moments of, I wasn't thinking about anything else. And the song title came. Uh, got a song called Funeral Party, <clears throat> which is more in the, uh, more in the uh, Bourbon Street vein. Mm-hmm. So kind of that whole hard-asser character, that's not a word, but hard more hard-ass character. 
of just like in the theme of that song it's got hip hop meets New Orleans with a horn section and it's just like when I die don't fucking sit around crying throw a fucking party and carry on yeah <laughs> came on yeah. one's called click boom click which is kind of what we talked about with like matching up what you're writing with like what's going on yeah, with society and it's just about you know how everything's going to shit you know not that you don't try to lift people up with certain songs but that song's about fuck it um what else we got going on Kelly Wolfgram and I sang a song together Kelly Wolfgram total awesome badass check her out anytime you get a chance she's the end all be all yeah she is it she's you know currently performing what is she in England right now Mm mhm and uh, doing a great show. She's one of my faves. Maybe my fave. Yeah, she's my favorite female singer to sing with, by far. Hands down. And that, that doesn't take away from anybody else who's really great. But no, you have an Wolf infinite Graham. amount we're, of we're love. We can love. We're kindred spirits. Yes, you and Kelly have a special bond. And Kelly's, um, she's a woke individual, to use a term of the yeah. millennials. She's Dude, like you, got, you, you definitely got to put her on one of these interviews. Have you done that yet? She's done so much dope shit. No, I know. She's, oh God, she's up next. Paul Lauren, <laughs> you're gonna have to have. We're about to we're about to geek out on Kelly Wolfgram. So it's Paul Lauren versus Kelly. Wolf. I'm seeing like the Inner Street Fighters too. Like logos like <laughs> round one. Oh God, <laughs> Kelly versus Paul. I know. I, no, Kelly is like. I was listening to an interview of an Australian on the way here, and all I hear is Kelly talking. You know what I mean? Like her. Whole well, accents are great so thing, strong. You know? yeah. No, yeah, she's great. Whatever. So anyway, there's a song she's that on we a did. New track. There's a song that we did called Somebody Else. You know, and we, we went in the studio, or whatever, and just like just even talking about. It, she's like, I'm not hitting this one note here. I'm like, you just gotta modify your vowel like that. She's like, how the fuck did you know that? But then I went in and sang. She's like, oh, just do that there. And it really was like a kindred spirit. And it's like she couldn't hear it when she was doing it, but you know, I told her, and she nailed it, of course, mm-hmm. ultimately. And I like to think I did okay and uh, so we did that and then you know we did a bunch of what else there's a song called Midway there's a song called uh, somebody else is a song I did with her there's a song called Closer to You we haven't picked uh, somebody to sing the duet on that uh, there's a song called The Devil's in New Orleans so we obviously know which direction that's going in mm-hmm. uh, a song called Drive Them Old Roads which is about here Woodbury Southbury mostly Southbury because that's where I grew up but this general area about just staying in touch with your friends so it's like this weird world, but it's definitely mostly between country, rock, New Orleans, and like I do love my old school hip hop. So the beats kind of reflect. They always on come that, back or the to rhythm. That. The rhythms the come way, back to yeah. some old school hip hop, but it's not rap rock by any means. It's just the tradition of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what we're working on now. So right now, about twelve songs. I'm going to take the Irish Session Band that was at my wedding for the after party and I'm going to record a song with them called Irish Rose very typical uh, so I'm going to do one with them for that so that'll make it about whatever 13, 14 or something like that and then there's a couple that we recorded one or two there's a song called Love's a Game that's more like a Black Crows kind of Rod Stewart vibe um, and that one we didn't even mix it we just recorded it it was like yeah that sounds good everybody just played trashed out on it and that was you know, really fun to do. But this is one song called Circles, and it's one of my favorite songs I've ever written, but it's just not sitting right. So it's not going to make it. Hasn't found a little spot where you I, th- I think I could see myself giving it to somebody else, actually, for that tune, and I'm totally down for that, too. Well, how do you course. feel about that? How about that? So one of the things that I've found yeah, going up, I always wanted to keep every song for myself. Mm-hmm. And now, at the, you know, I'm in my mid to later 30s, I'm suddenly like, yeah, maybe I'll just let that song go. 
and it's not a, for a need of money or like well, wanting to like sell out or connect. Time, you know what I mean? Which Maybe is sometimes you're, as you're figuring out who you are. You, you know? Well, that's one of the, that's the thing that we talked about sound and all that stuff. Uh, it was a, it was a, I think it was Miles Davis who said it. He's, you know, it was, man, it takes a long time to sound like yourself. Yeah, it does. It, that if you have, can't I, find I don't your own was, sound, was, Miles was, Davis, you can just walk right into the ocean. Was that Miles right? or was that a Duke Ellington? Oh, it was, it was like, like super Miles. One of the, the j- jazz quotes. I think it was a jazz quote. I think it was Miles Davis. All the jazz was like, "Of course, you basic bitch." Of course, that was Miles Davis. But. <laughs> but you know, or it, it, but it might have been Coltrane. It was one of the. It was one of, the, or it could have been Charlie Parker. It was one of the guy, real innovators, the big cats, yeah. Who said it takes a long time to sound like yourself? Because, like we talked about, from when you're coming up and when you're learning shit, uh, you're constantly emulating your heroes, and then you try to keep that, but transcend that, and put your own touch on it, and that's a challenge. And that could be the challenge from how you dress what your style is, everything you do mm-hmm. is becoming yourself. Letting go of all those influences and, you know, yeah, that's, yeah. That's a whole thing. You got a whole thing here. That's you have a, a whole record. So you have like a 14-song record. Circles is waiting for a home. Yep. Did but you I, see that there's a cello right there? Yeah, I think that should be an upright bass. That's like my only critique of the whole place. <laughs> it's... Adorable. It's like a mini upright. It's like when I used to play, you know, I played Suzuki cello when I was four. Did you? That looks like the cello. That, that was the cello that you played. What on? if this is full circle and somehow right that, to our left? Fucking thing just came Beautiful here. cello. Just My old Suzuki cello. And this flickering light tripping me out with a horse bridle. No bridle right on top of it. Anyway, when um, are you dropping the record? When are we dropping the record? There's no decision on that yet. No decision. I'm aching to do it. Artistically, I'm aching to do it. But it's just about how the, how the right thing is. You know, the thing I give a fuck about most, and I said it earlier, I love playing live. I love it. You know? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of my faults, I think, as, as an artist, is that I'll make videos and stuff like that. Like, I want to do all that stuff, and I can find the artistry and all that. And obviously, in the studio, we go buck wild, and we, we love doing it. But at the end of the day, I love playing live. You know, and I think that from an industry standpoint, we're talking about right now, at least where we are right now, until things are amended, depending on streaming and all that stuff, merch and touring is all you're really going to have. But I really do love playing live. I really do love it. And I want to finish this album and we're working on it and it's ready. You know, I mean, as soon as we finish a bunch of stuff, like there's going to be a lot of tracks that are probably ready. We could probably release an album. I keep saying we, I know I go under solo artist, but I look at it as a camaraderie oh, it's thing. A, it's a group. After and, you. uh, I think that's ready to go, but I just want it to get its due credit this time, you know, because I feel like the last album didn't get its due credit just situationally. Mm-hmm. And so I want to make sure that when I release it, it's the right way. And uh, yeah, so right now it's the focus of playing live as much, playing a lot of stuff and getting ready to put that out. How do you feel about Kickstarter? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about crowdfunding and crowdsourcing. I, I know you're, you you're keep, looking at me like, oh, do we want to go here? You're like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, no, I want to talk yeah. about, okay, well, I, let's, co- no, let's collectively talk about the Kickstarter and the funding thing. And this is going to be a thing where I think, especially a lot of people with whom we work or whatever in the city, I know a lot of people use Kickstarter. So this is kind of a tough opinion conversation to have maybe well, on certain things. I, what do you think about crowdsourcing? Yeah, well, I have I have mixed feelings on that one. That's a difficult one. 
I have recorded videos for crowdfunding and never have released them. So I haven't put my foot in that water, Jeff. I, uh, Me either. Yeah. I work hard enough. You can make money. We live in New York City. There's places to... There's opportunity here. Yeah. Um, even though we're in Woodbury at Woodbury Brewing Company. But so I, I, I approve of it, though. I think other people should do it. It feels to me like this whole business part of it. Like, I'm not a businessman. I don't have this makeup that you have. I wish I did. I no. like, I don't give a fuck about it. So I'm just like, uh, whatever, fuck it. I'm just going to keep doing what I do. Maybe that's the definition of insanity. You know what I mean? You expect different results. I'm doing the same thing. I've never, I want to someday. I've never crowdsourced. Yeah. And, uh, I, and it's not that I have, you know, I think it works differently for different people. Yeah. Everybody has a different thing on this, but I, you know, I've always felt like part of the charm to art is, you know, and, and we've lost this in social media and a lot of that. We're, we're so about let everybody into everything that you do. Yeah, the mystery is going. So the crowdsource, and, and again, I, I don't judge people for crowdsourcing at all, whatever. Because you, you you know, like, in a business way, it's very pragmatic. It's like, you all want to hear this album? Give me the money ahead of time to get it done, and then you'll get the album. Like there it's, you go. It, it's totally a great business plan. And yeah. there's, there's nothing wrong with it. But for me, I've always felt like I wanted to keep the, uh, I don't know. I kind of enjoy the mystery behind certain things. This is why I'm horrible at Instagram and Twitter, especially Twitter. I'm better at Instagramming. Horrible at Twitter. Facebook's kind of my thing because maybe it's just that's that's maybe aging ourselves or whatever. But <laughs> Instagram, I like to take a photo. But even I've that, like, far and wide. I've, I've been told by if people. If you want to have fun, don't have kids. <laughs> I half meant that. <laughs> and I will stand by that when I have children. <laughs> uh, but that's that was... that's a conversation before we go on a personal note. But like, you know, Instagram, I liked I like taking pictures. I feel like there's something artistic about that. Mm -hmm. I maybe have selfied once in my life or something like that. But I don't post every day. I just can't get on that whole me me me. And I'm a very me 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 person. Fucking truth be told, you know, self involved artist or whatever. But I'm a very me 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 guy in a lot of ways. A lot mm -hmm. of artists as they get in their their heads, but. I don't, you know, I don't, uh, I don't know. Just the, uh, the imagery. Oh, stickers. shit. We got some stickers Thank right here from so Woodbury Brewing Company again. Yes. We're going to read some details. Thank you, Tim. Uh, again, yeah. let's see. So I'm going to read the sticker to you. A gathering place for friends, family, and fun. Woodbury Brewing Company. And uh, Woodbury was established in 1659. We're in Woodbury, Connecticut. 06798. Boom. So... We were we were just saying as far as uh, we're talking about crowdsourcing, we're talking about Instagramming the whole Instagramming. social media conundrum that all of us in the see. I thought what was so bad. So I'm very old school in this, age, and this and this could be, this very out. well could be the doom of everything that I try to do artistically. But for me, I don't want to know everything. You know that's why like documentaries used to sell, or like when MTV would be like behind the scenes, you got access to behind the scenes. Like I think part of the romance of an artist is not always knowing what's going on. Of course, I because agree not with. everything is glamorous, and that's the that's the you know, era and, we brought up. And, right, and, you're buying the CD, you're trying to put the whole piece together, right? Yeah, and so so for me, for, <coughs> for the crowdsource, and again, who's the bass player? Who is the writer? Yeah, like I, I think that you know, with uh, the crowd, and again, I don't judge people from a 
from a standpoint business-wise of doing that, I think it's a brilliant way to go and it's very involved. So if you are more of that communal standpoint, but for me, I want to release something. I don't want anybody to know how it was done. I'll take a couple photos behind the scenes and that's it. And I want you to hear that. And, you know, I, th I think that for the musicians who work with us and whatever, like when they hear that, I know I want everybody to hear like, holy shit, this is awesome. Where did it come from? Not like, oh, well, I saw the footage of so-and-so like fucking up 12 guitar tracks <laughs> on the Instagram story, you know? Yeah. So for me, and I think that that's where like the crowdsourcing and just like the involvement of crowds. And, for, and maybe this is interesting because we talked about, or I know I talked about how much I love playing live, but how much you let people get involved because you're creating your product, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I'm kind of just like going off on a tangent here or whatever. And I, again, okay. I don't hate on the whole crowdsourcing. I don't hate on the social media. It's clearly done great things for a lot of people. But I think that's one of the challenges that I face as, as a performer is tapping into that because it doesn't feel right to me. Where I just, I just feel like, okay, like Twitter. You know, when you and I hang out, I got a lot of shit to say about a yeah, lot you have of things. Hilarious shit to say about everything. I have a lot of things that I consider yeah, to be. That's why I can fact see you being really good funny. at Twitter. Yeah, but I just don't fucking think everybody needs to know what I think all the time. <laughs> well, and that's why you know the current president is fucking the president right now. Whether you like him or whether you fucking hate him, fucking you know Twitter. what he's fucking thinking all the time. And yep. some people hate it and go Sunday constantly bonkers. Sunday morning, nine tweets. Yeah. yeah, people constantly are going bonkers over it. Or some people are like, fuck yeah, that's what I fucking think. And I posted something about that on Facebook the other day. I said, love him or hate him, that motherfucker has you in his pocket. He has all of us. We're sitting here pushing and mother, the buttons. Motherfucker, I'm not it. saying bad or good. You can say whatever you want to say. But that guy has everyone's attention. Yep. And I just can't fucking do that on Twitter. I just think there's well, some think shit that I think. I think there's some shit I have to say <laughs> that you're not, people you, don't need you're to. Not, you're consciously <laughs> for the general interest of keeping friendships, I don't fucking comment on every single thing that I think. I mean, so I don't know. We kind of got off a tangent on uh, social media and on. I don't know. I don't think that's a bad thing to crowdfund. I don't think it's a bad thing to constantly post on social media. I just don't. I don't know. I, I have For a hard time. And I think it does that, affect the music. And I think though, there right? are a lot and of people who have a hard I time with it. I respect that. I think Everybody I see a lot a of people who, I, I think that we both know artists who constantly feel the need to post something because it's what they're supposed to be doing. But it doesn't necessarily but make the music any better. It doesn't make the music any better. And actually, because they're so consumed, and this could maybe have to do with how often you release albums, it could do with everything. If you're constantly obsessed with how much output you're giving, like, not everything deserves to be heard. That was a George Michael quote about Prince, actually, mm -hmm. from somebody that told me in a bar. So this, is, this could be total bullshit, but it sounded about right. And George Michael had said about Prince, both, I was both fans, huge fans of both, both around the same time. And Prince is one of my all-time faves. And I love yeah, George Michael, too. They're both but amazing. George Michael did say this one thing. He's like, you know the thing about Prince, or what I've been told, is that he was like, you don't got to release everything that you make. So on social media. So Englishman you don't versus... Gotta, yeah. But like, you know, Minneapolis. but it's about consistency too, you know, so not everybody needs, and that there's in the book, Iron John, great philosophy book about, uh, it's mostly based about men, but it's, it's for women and men, but about traditions and carrying on and passing on the torch and such. And it has this one thing about not showing your gold too early. So when you're younger, you might think that you're coming out with great shit. I feel that way about my first album. Yeah, I could have gone without, it, it could, it could have gone without being released. I was psyched to release it, but looking back, I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> As many artists do. No, I really do feel that way. And so 
the same thing could be said about constantly releasing shit or constantly putting shit on social media. It's like not everything needs to be seen because not everything is amazing. And that's the whole society we're in right now is that everything is heightened and famous and everything is awesome. And it's like, well, no, not every moment. Like no, everything you sucks, fucking yeah. cheersing a beer at your local bar is really being done by fucking literally 3 million people right now yeah. in your own country. Or I don't know what the, that number is correct, but a lot of fucking people are cheersing a beer with somebody right now. Nobody gives a fuck about that. And so I think that that's the thing. But like as an artist, everyone's like, I got to let everybody in. Well, fuck that. Why do you have to do that? I don't, I don't disagree with you. And if you want to edit some of this out, I, I don't mind. No, no, no. But you, you can keep it too. I'm confident in everything we're discussing. Well, look, so. this is to, first of all, I have to pee. I have to fucking go pee. I could hang out here all night. I don't know if we're supposed to. Supposed to. Clearly, the Lord's glorious ale is getting to me. But why don't you take a pause and then maybe we'll do a conclusion? Let's take a quick pause. We'll be right back. 11.25. So we took a quick pee, which was great. Thank you, Jeff. You got it. And I'm feeling much better. My conclusion is, I'm going to set you up to conclude this, but this is what I am naturally attracted to the podcast, is because it's an in-depth study of an artist. And it's not this surface shit of what fucking beer we ordered. Sure, did we talk about that? Yeah, but... What is, what is Jeff actually writing? Who is Jeff? What, are, what, are, what moves Jeff? What motivates him? So I like this in depth. This is, this is you know, two hours of inside Jeff Toohey's mind. Way different. So that's where I leave this. Because, and you talked about this earlier, like the surface thinking shit, like who gives a fuck? Right. Right? So... My wife's going to take us to a bar after this, so we're just uh, doing a quick text message. <laughs> Your wife is going to take us? Yeah. Is she going to join us? Or is she just going to yeah, drive no, us Yeah, no, she's going to come. Oh, okay, I was going to say. Of course. She's always anyway, freshly married, super artist, Jeff. Yes. Take us home. Take us home. Maybe you could sing fucking... Shedding a tear for you again. That was honestly maybe the highlight of this, that you did the song from <laughs> when you were in fourth grade. Back in the day. God damn. No, I, mean, it was, I mean, I didn't write a song until I was in what, seventh I think grade. that, like, you know, so I guess I'd say a couple things. I mean, I think I already said it. Like, the most important thing for me making music is making people happy. Uh, Shepard Smith from the Fox Report used to come check us out at the Red Line all the time. Uh, and still does from time to time, but awesome dude great patron of the arts and he once said to me he's like if your job is making people happy you can never lose you might not always accomplish in making everybody happy but if that's your goal then nine times out of ten like what a great goal to have like what a fulfilling thing and that's what we do I think as artists we're not even you know and I, I would go beyond that and say not making people happy but just whoa alright Jeff connecting. hold on let me interject for one second this is what I at the core, I like about social media because if you post something funny online, you could make one person happy. Yeah, and you're very good at that. Of Facebook, no, but that, that I was like, fuck, dude, I but can make you're, people you're happy. At that. That. And let me, and let me say this about and uh, that's what I like. You're, you're gonna be pissed because you're gonna think I'm getting off topic. But here's what I love about Paul Madison, host of Secret Famous, is this. And, and, it, and, it, and this, this stretches, nope, nope, you're just going to have to listen. 
And this stretches from your social media to uh, to the way that you are as a person, you know. And this is besides your talent is is the secret to your success. I feel for your success. And maybe one day, episode twenty five, you know, or the golden <laughs> anniversary of fifty episodes or whatever it is, or your diamond jubilee at sixty, whatever they call it. <laughs> I would like to interview. Jubilee. I would like. I would like to interview you one day, and I think I'd be good at it with the whole, you know background bullshit that we just discussed but here's what I like about you and with your social media and with what you do is that I think it's a Maya Angelou quote and she says people might not remember what you said but they will always remember how you made them feel and one of the best things about you and the nature of this podcast everything that you do is that you always bring people up around you so let me say that, and I aspire to do that artistically. Well, you do that, and that's very And that, that's my conclusion. Okay. That. I, that was pretty beautiful, and I can't really... You do do that, though, Jeff, just so you know. <laughs> Thank you. I can't... I'm, I'm, I'm a little taken aback by your... Uh, I, I, I meant every word of it. Your, uh, you... I love Jeff, too. He turned it... See, your psychology. You turned this all around on me. <laughs> Not that I was ever trying to come after you. I just no, no, yeah. Um, that was super sweet, and you do that. I don't think you uh, really even realize, but you should realize from your wedding. Clearly, people were there it supporting was, you. Well, you know, deep, that was my deep, that, deep level, and that was yeah. my favorite thing. You know, my my wife was talking to her siblings about what their favorite part was, and they all this different thing, and uh, and then when. And both both things, I was with my friend Sue Masato, uh, Masato now Sue, Sue Kennedy, for many years. And we were at a place called Marketplace down the street. <clears throat> and I guess there are two things. I'll, I'll start with, I'll go in like more recent order to past order, is that she said to me, she's like, I know, but all that money on a wedding. I'm like, and she had done it too. She got married several years ago to a great guy named Sean. They have two beautiful kids. And she's like, ah, but all that money, we could have like, we could have all put that into a house. I'm like, wouldn't change a fucking thing. Yeah, right. And then with my wedding, and then this is the way that I think I just live consistently, hopefully, <clears throat> as an artist too, is that my favorite part of the wedding was I had just gotten married. I'd gone through, shake it, you know, I shook a bunch of hands, shaken, shook, whatever, a bunch of hands, and said hi to people. And the thing about a wedding, as you know, you've, you've been married, you never get a chance to have a real meaningful conversation for that long. It's like, hey, what's up? How you doing? Whatever. No, you get nothing. Yeah. <clears throat> so I climbed up into the Ramblin' Inn, your, your wife's favorite part of the wedding. Dude, she took a thousand for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Grabbed myself like a Guinness and a shot of Jameson or something like that. And I had this one moment where I wasn't talking to anybody. And the Ramblin' Inn kind of climbs up. And I looked out into the tent. There was about like 300 people there. <clears throat> and I looked out. I knew that I wasn't going to get to really talk to anybody that much that whole night, except here and there. But I looked out into that tent and I just saw arguably the most important people in my life, mm -hmm. minus a few who couldn't make it. <clears throat> I saw the most important people in my life all having a great fucking time and a burning band of like local New York musicians. And like we had given musicians a bunch of work. We had five bands, you know, between a mariachi band and the Pipers and all that. I know that musicians were working. There was great cocktail service of cocktail bars which I'm going to take you to right after this interview Island Brass yeah. Company Waterbury La Tavola had done the food and I just but I just remember looking and being like 
I know I won't get to talk to everybody here, but all the people I love are here having a fucking great time with people they love and they're getting to know other people who I love, who I believe are great people. Yeah. And that was my favorite part about my wedding. And I wouldn't have changed a thing about how much money was spent on it or anything else. And that's the way I feel about music. And that's the way I feel about art. And that is that I wouldn't change a damn thing at the end of the day, as long as I know that the people around me are having a good time and leave having had a better experience. Perfect. Jeff Tuohy. Thank you, Jeff. Paul Madison. Guys, Jeff Tuohy. Thank you for listening. He's a beautiful soul, man. He's like, he's a real cat. There's those of us that love the hustle of playing music. And like, you wake us up at four in the morning, we'll do it. Like, he's, he's the realest of the real. Seriously, thank you for listening to that. I would like to thank Jeff, too, because he's the man opening his heart like that. Um, I'm recording this ending because I didn't on the last one. And my friend... Daryl D Money AF. He's like, bro, you have to have an outro. Uh, Daryl, thank you for reminding me to do the outro again. I would also like to thank Jason Wexler, my technical director, for fucking making this always happen and come together. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. And now we will rock a little lay your body down. Across this floor But we met a few times before Wanna take you out And walk you to your door If it all plays out We'll try for more Cause baby There's no middle of in town Let me lay your body down I had a similar situation in a heart ago Let me keep you warmer when the nights grow cold This baby is the middle of in town Let me lay your body down Your body down.